Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Three balls. Two strikes to pay off. Swung on. Hit in the air. Right center field. Pretty deep. Going back and looking up is Soto. It's gone. Lead off. Home run for Kyle Schwarber. Great start on this Friday night as Schwarber with his second homer of this postseason and of this series. You want to get this crowd into it, do something like that right out of the chute. Wow. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you, Scott Fransky, Larry Anderson. Another great call. Another great night. Phillies win game three of the NLCS 4-2, take a 2-2-1 lead. Oh, how about that? Red October. I'm Glenn Macnow along with Mike Sealski. Mike, the sun is shining, the weather is beautiful, the Phillies are up. My man is fired up this oh, morning. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. It was a, uh, it was a heck of a thing to watch last night. I'm a not to get too deep at the start, Glenn, but I am a big believer that sports at its best is one of the last things we have in this society that really pulls people together. Oh, yeah. of all different backgrounds. I think we need. Things like that nowadays, and when a Philadelphia team is playing well and making a deep playoff run, everything just feels better in the Delaware Valley. Amen, brother. It was. It was. And it was a roller coaster game, as they say. From the word go. All from right. the word go. So let's begin from the word go, all right? Uh, just, uh, I guess I said it, but the Phillies win 4-2 to two to tonight's game. What is it, 7.45 start tonight, Kyle? What time is it? 7.45. 7.45. Yeah. First pitch tonight, Citizen Bank Park. Mike Clevenger against uh, Brady Falter, kind of, sort of. We'll get into that as we go along. But yesterday night begins, as you just heard, it was the... Uh, sixth pitch of the game into the seats. What did that do, other than give the Phillies a one nothing lead, what did that do for the crowd, the fan, the teammates? What did that mean? You heard it. Uh, there's no better start to get off to than to have your leadoff hitter hit a home run. Uh, we've been debating in the city, people who follow the Phillies all year, where should Kyle Schwarber bat in the lineup? He hits with so much power. Should he be lower in the lineup so that he hits more often with men on base? Well, Guess what? There are worse things than starting a game with a with a home run. And uh, you're getting Schwarber as many at-bats as you possibly can by batting him leadoff. And therefore, you have more chances for what happened last night. Yeah, and you know, I hear from 
certain quarters that Kyle Schwarber, oh, he's Dave Kingman. That's all he is, is Dave Kingman. And if you look at the stat line, whatever he had this year, 46-48 home runs and a batting average in the low 200s, and therefore, oh, he's Dave Kingman. But he's not Dave Kingman in a lot of ways. Most specifically, Dave Kingman was a jackass. Yes. Dave Kingman was a certified surly guy, which is one of the reasons he probably played on eight or ten major league teams in the course of his career. Nobody wanted to keep him. He was a jack wagon. Kyle Schwarber, yes, actually he has played on teams himself, but he came here by his choice and by many millions of dollars in commas, is a guy who's a team leader, is a guy who's a glue guy there. He's a vitally important... People underrate what clubhouse means in baseball, and I think it means a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely with respect to Schorber, the person, away from when he's in the batter's box. He is the guy that they all point to as he's the guy who keeps us loose. He's the guy who keeps us uh, our, our heads on straight, our perspective in the right way, doesn't let us get too high, doesn't let us get too low. Uh, and again, to bring it back to what we were talking about a minute ago, you know, you can bat Kyle Schwarber fourth if you want to, but there's no guarantee that he's going to come up with men on base and that he's going to hit these 46 or 47 home runs and and the two or three that he's hit in the postseason with one or two or three guys on. So bat him lead off. He gets on base, even though his batting average isn't great. Uh, he takes a lot of walks, hits a lot of home runs. There are worse ways to be. Um, I, I think he's fine for what this team is and yeah. what this team could yet be. Yeah, if I had Tim Raines or Ricky Henderson, I'd have a different leadoff hitter, but, but I don't have but that got, guy. Yeah, you don't. You don't. You got right. Kyle Schwarber hitting bombs. Right, so here you go. It is the ups and downs of last night and the Achilles heel of this team, which you hope doesn't end up uh, killing him as did Achilles, which is the second inning. Um, actually, the ups. let's start with the ups of the defense, is that Brandon Marsh makes a heck of a play in the second inning Will Myers hits one 400 feet into center field. Um, according to Statcast, I know you're a big follower of that. Oh yeah. The and I I don't I don't buy this stuff, but I kind of do. The the expected batting average on that ball was 870, except Brandon Marsh tracks it down. I want to talk just a little bit about this guy who's he's a he's a role player, but boy, he's really a good and valuable role player. He, he's a terrific defensive center fielder. Uh, he has stabilized that position out there for the most part. And his his contributions offensively have been beyond what he did with the Los Angeles Angels Vanaheim, but have kind of validated one of the reasons that the Phillies acquired him, one of the reasons that Dave Dombrowski went after him, which was they felt like they could unlock something in his swing, that they could tweak it a little bit, get him working with Kevin Long, the batting coach, mm -hmm. and that he would be a better hitter than he had been with the Angels, and he has been that. I mean, he hit the big home run in Game 4 against the Braves. He's not an automatic out at the bottom of the lineup, uh, and he makes that play, which the Phillies were fortunate in this regard, Glenn. Myers hit that ball, I think, to the only part of the ballpark that would have held it. I mean, if he hits it yeah. 10 feet to the uh, left or right. 10 feet to it's the right, out. that's a home run. Yep. Uh, but good on Marsh for tracking it down. And I like Brad Marsh. Brad, I keep calling Brad Marsh. Brandon Marsh. <laughs> You know, you have a thing for old flyers, old hockey players, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Brandon Marsh. I think he's a guy who, you know, next four or five years, he could be your center fielder and, and be fine. Yeah. Bad 270, 15 home runs, good defense. I'll take that guy. Yeah. And, and the catch continued the kind of pattern that we were going to see the whole night. You know, you mentioned the first inning and 
the, the start that the Phillies get off to with Schwarber. Remember, later in the bottom of that inning, the next two hitters walk. Hoskins and Real Muto walk. Mm-hmm. And so you have first and second and nobody out. And if you're a Phillies fan, you're thinking, here comes Bryce Harper. Here comes a big inning. And Harper grounds into a double play. And the Phillies don't tack on after Schwarber's homer. And now you're thinking, oh boy, we missed an opportunity here. Will that come back bite us? And then Marsh makes the great catch. And that was the night, the entire three and a half hours or however long the game was, just volleying back and forth. Well, here's your volley. The volley comes in the fourth inning on defense. Um, Cronenberg, Cronenworth, uh, bounces one uh, shortstop. And uh, Stott tosses it to Segura fine, and Segura botches it. Padres score 1-1. The biggest worry we all have about this team is the defense. It will not be the last time this becomes a factor last night. No, it it was not. And it's got to be frustrating to a guy like Ranger Suarez, for instance, even though he's not going to show it. Because Suarez was pitching so well last night, getting the kind of contact for the most part that you want a pitcher to get. I mean, think about that one squib hit. That you know almost yeah. scooted by Alec yeah. Bohm early yeah. in the game. Um, yeah. yeah, there was a cheap ground ball hit through the um, the right side of the infield because the Phillies were playing in shift later in the game, a- and you can't have opportunities like that to keep a team down to collect outs. The Phillies had a way of getting out of that inning unscathed, and they weren't able to take advantage of it because Segura simply didn't catch the ball. However, bottom of the fourth, Gene Segura comes up. Uh, what does he call him? Uh, uh, Gene. Uh, cl- he's got the clutch, clutch gene. gene. Clutch gene. Yeah. That's it. Comes up in the bottom of the fourth. A one and two slider. And here's what he does. Phillies and Padres tied at one here in the bottom of the fourth. Start at second. Bohm at third. Two outs. One ball. Two strikes. Musgrove's pitch. Swung on. Poked towards center. It'll be a base hit. It falls in. Both runs are going to score. And Gene Segura has come through. It's a two-run single, and the Phillies are back on top, three to one. Uh, nice job by him. And by the way, just want to mention real quickly: Bryson Stott has not done a ton in the postseason, but a pair of hits last night, mm-hmm. which scored that run there. Two doubles. Yeah, yeah, and feeling se- better at that point. Yeah, you? absolutely. And the cigarette bat shows the value of just putting the ball in play, especially with two strikes. I saw somebody on Twitter last night. Uh, facetiously criticizing Segura, like, what was the exit velocity on that single? And, you know, why was he swinging at that pitch out of the strike zone with two strikes? Well, that's part of the reason why you do it. And it's what makes baseball fun. Like, that shouldn't have been a hit, and yet it was. Too much of baseball these days is just launch angle, go for the home run. You know, hey, the 120-mile-an-hour hit the other night was pretty good. The Schwarber homer, (laughs) yeah. That was pretty good. But, But one of the things that I think has changed since Topper became the manager is... And I understand that's not small ball, but it doesn't have to be a home run to work. And right. the Phillies were, hey, if they don't score home runs, they can't score runs. If they don't have home runs, they can't score runs. Well, now they are. Yeah, they've been doing it throughout the postseason. They did it in that first game against the Cardinals. They did it in game one against the Braves. They did it in game two against the Padres, and it didn't help them in the end. But And then again, they did it last night. All right. By the way, 215-592-9494, looking to talk to people who were just basking in the glow of that win last night. Okay, so here we go. Top of the fifth. Uh oh. As Ray Dinger would say, it's time for the corner butcher shop to open up <laughs> a routine chopper to Reese Hoskins at first. Corner butcher number one returns. I mean, that's a high school play, man, and he can't make it. Then Grissom comes in to score. Bad defense, three to two. I have a question for anyone who knows more about Major League Baseball and its rules uh, related to player salaries. 
If John Middleton were to buy pairs of bifocals for the entire Phillies infield, would that put them over the luxury tax? Would they have to go into the luxury tax for that? Because they might need them. Yeah, it was painful. Yeah. He, he's just not going to get better. You just hope that his bat carries his glove, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. The baffling part was it was the same thing that happened with the Segura play at second base. He simply didn't catch it. It, it, yeah. it, it, it didn't even go into the palm of his mitt. No, he just botched it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So here comes the big decision. Phillies get out of the inning with a 3-2 to two lead. Um, Suarez going great. You know what? Give me a Suarez highlight while we're here. Suarez comes to the letter set. And the pitch. Breaking ball. Bounced on the ground to shortstop. A run will score. Stott's got it on the infield grass. Throws to first. And Hoskins able to hang on to the bag. It's a 3-2 game. It's an unearned run charged to Ranger Suarez's line. And an RBI for Hassan Kim. Fans getting a little cranky there. They were. I guess uh, it's uh, not directed at Suarez, obviously. Directed no. at Hoskins. The, the Suarez would have shut the Padres out if the Phillies had played even routine defense behind him. And that was the fans' frustration, sure, was that they the Phillies had just given the Padres a run and Kept had cut the lead in half. Kept him in the game. So Suarez was great. Five innings, 68 pitches. The only trouble he ever got in was, again, because of his defense— I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? You got a lot of games. You don't have days off coming up. You got a no. lot of games. You got bullpen games coming up as early as today. Let's get another inning or two out of Suarez. He's cruising, but Rob Thompson takes him out. What were you thinking at the time, Mike Sealski? And how do you feel about it now? Well, I was thinking two things at the time, and this is the honest to goodness truth. The, I, I was with a group of people, and we were kind of discussing this, and a lot of people felt the way you did. Why isn't he leaving Suarez in? Here's the thing. Number one, Manny Machado was coming up, I believe, to lead off the top of the sixth inning. And Machado is, A, a great hitter, and B, had made solid contact against Suarez twice already. And now Suarez is going to have to get him out if you leave him in for the third time. That's number one. Number two, I'm more along the lines of thinking that you have to, if you are managing any baseball team in the playoffs, you have to win that night and do whatever you have to do to win that night. Mm -hmm. And if you... Leave a pitcher in too long, a la Aaron Nola in game two, the game could get away from you. And the Phillies' bullpen was set up last night for Rob Thompson to be able to do what he did, to to use the number of guys that he used, and we're going to get into that, uh, but you've got to win that night. And that's essentially what he said after the game. Yeah. He, he talked about he didn't want him to go through a lineup the third time. I don't think he mentioned Machado specifically, but I infer that that's one of the things he's talking about there. And he said, you got to win tonight. And ultimately, it works for him. So who am I to question Rob Thompson? It worked. Okay, sixth inning, Zach Eflin comes in, survives a couple of hits, preserves the lead. Terrific uh, double play from yeah. Stott to Segura yeah. to Hoskins. Yeah, absolutely. Timely, well-executed. Got him out of that. Yep. Um, and then the bottom of the sixth. Uh, feeling a little nervous, nothing going on. But Castellano hits the double left, Bohm's. Again, swings it one out of the strike zone, but hits it under a diving Juan Soto. Not very good defense there by that right fielder. It gets by him. The Phillies get to four to two. The crowd backing it in a huge way. Yeah, and you have to feel good if you're the Phillies and their fans at that point. Yep. The, the, the biggest similarity to me between this team and the 2008 team are the bullpens. The, the, the 2018... Bradledge, we all remember him as being perfect and great. 
but that team collectively doesn't get enough credit for how good that bullpen was. You know, um, oh, Madsen was terrific. Madsen was terrific. J.C. Romero, yeah. Scott Ayer, all those guys. When, when the Phillies took a one-run lead by the sixth inning, that was it. The, they were going to oh, win the game by one you're run. It, you're believing that now, are you? A little bit. Are you? A little bit. Really? Okay. Well, it did work out. It certainly did work out last night because Alvarado comes in top of the seventh. Um, Rob Thompson going for the kill. San Diego threatens to score again. Bouncer on the right side. Really nice play by Segura again. They get out of it. Eighth inning. Alvarado in. Um, allows, one batter, right? Yeah, allows a leadoff hit. To Soto. And here comes Sir Anthony. Yeah. And and he's your he's your stopper at this point. He is your untouchable guy. And he's been brilliant the entire postseason. And, and I think everybody felt pretty good. Once he came into the game, and certainly they felt good throughout the rest of that eighth inning. And that may be the biggest surprise of any surprise in that he missed so much of the season. He looked shaky when he came back. That he's returned to this dominance that we saw a couple years ago is a huge, huge benefit for the Phillies. Ninth inning, Yurikson Profar, two strikes. Uh, Give me man on, right? Man on first, three and two count. Yeah. And here's what happens. Dominguez peeks back at first. He comes set. Profar waits. The kick. The 3-2 pitch. Inside. Ball four. Did he check? Oh, he went around. And Profar slams the helmet down as he is screaming at third base umpire Todd Tishner. And he is gone. Wow. Uh, To be honest, I thought Profar may have had a point. You know, but but it's you know we're talking a fraction of an inch, and you take it when it comes your way. Yeah, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of posting of photographs on social media last night showing that Profar's bat had extended beyond the plate, and part of it was that he had moved his body so much that even if he had held his hands back, his body kind of propelled him past the the point where it would be a check swing, and he would have taken the walk. This to me, Glenn, could turn out to be the moment that defines the entire series. Ooh, listen to you. So. If you remember the top of that ninth inning, Sir Anthony was all over the place. Uh, and the Padres have a runner on first. Profar represents the tying run at the plate. If that pitch is called a ball, and it was way out of the strike zone, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the Padres have two men on, nobody out, and Sir Anthony's walked the first two guys, or at least gotten allowed the first two batters to reach base. Uh, that's going to be a tough situation to get out of. Instead, what you have is one on, one out, mm-hmm. momentum completely shifts, and Dominguez retires the next two hitters without incident. Uh, that call by Todd Titchener could be the one that we look back on and say <laughs> it's the reason the Phillies won the National League pennant. And it could be the one in 20 years from now in San Diego when they do the radio show, like, name a time that you got screwed by the officials. Like, remember that NLCS in 2022 with Profar? That, right? That's when it's you and I will call in. Is there a Leon Stickle moment? I was just going to say, does the name Leon Stickle mean right. anything to you? Right. We, we've got a few of those in this town. Good. You can have it there. <laughs> what a night. The fans were, again, tremendous. I heard a thing on Twitter today. Kyle Quinn, we may try to find this. And I know I'm giving you a needle in a haystack. There was a guy who lives a mile mm-hmm. away. I saw this, too. Did you? Okay, yes. let's see if we can find it. He lives a mile away from the ballpark. And he just turned on his phone and recorded from a mile away Yes, the crowd. And it was amazing. People, you are great fans. Love it. Bask in it. Enjoy every minute. You deserve it. And give us a call. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. By the way, best caller of the day. 
is judged by producer Kyle Quinn. Gets a $50 gift card to Scheib Vintage Sports, where there is a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at the Center City location uh, or at their new place on Lancaster Avenue in Wayne or ScheibSports.com. By the way, I got my uh, Prism t-shirt from there the other day. Oh, I have Looking a Prism. sharp, baby. I have a Prism t-shirt myself. There it is. Uh, I love to wear it. It's always a conversation It's starter. always people always go, oh, I used to watch. It's Prism was the greatest. Yeah, it was. I found anyway. that, by the way, so I can uh, have oh, you it did? on the way back. All right, let's yeah. play it when we come back. Yep. It, was, it was an amazing moment. Hey, we want to hear from you today. You may have screamed yourself hoarse. I want to hear your voice. 215-592-9494. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. A joyous Saturday morning in Philadelphia, 94 WFP. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now. 94 WIP, just a beautiful Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley. You know, I'm delighted that the Eagles are on the bye week. Uh, it allows us to focus so much on the Phillies yeah. uh, with a clear conscience. We don't have anything distracting us. Yeah. The Sixers are making it very easy for us to pay attention to the <laughs> Phillies, for instance. Get in a little bit. We'll bring up the Flyers a little bit. We'll... we'll We'll, we'll work that into the conversation, but it's really all about the Phillies. And it also helps that the, the Eagles go on by undefeated, so it's like we don't have anything to grouse about. We have nothing to be miserable about. What, How could you be miserable today? What do we do, Glenn? This is this is unaccustomed territory for those of us <laughs> who follow Philadelphia sports. Yeah, it's been a while. We'll G- find something. Gino in South Jersey is with hey, us. Guys. You're at the game. Oh, man. Yes, me, my son, 35-year-old son, and my two oldest grandsons, 8 and 10. Wow. It was wild. I, it was a rock show. Three generations. You know what? That's pretty special for you, I'm sure. Oh, I'm still, I still got tears in my eyes, especially because we won. Yeah. Good. <laughs> what are well, your thoughts, to, Gino? 
Um, wow, what what a run it's been, right? Um, and this this game tonight. I mean, last night was was crucial. Tonight is key. This is going to pack them away. The stands were unbelievable. The place was literally lifted off the ground. Yeah, yeah. We, we in section one forty three. We we had the backs of uh, Frank Thomas, A Rod, uh, and Big Poppy. But I noticed that the like after the first or second inning, they disappeared from that 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 location. Do you know what happened to them? No, I nah, they, just... they probably just relocated uh, to I a different part of the park. Cold, they got cold and they moved them, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Big Poppy was rocking the Reggie White shirt. He was. How that, that was kind of cool. I thought it might have been Jerome Brown at first when I uh, initially saw him on TV. But, uh, you know, Gio makes a good point, I think, or at least raises a good point, which is we're, we're talking a lot about the atmosphere at Citizens Bank Park, and, and rightfully so. And to me... This is unique in baseball, or at least has been in the last several years. You don't see crowds like this. And it does seem to me, certainly in the Braves series, and maybe a little bit last night, that it's having an impact on the opposing team. Oh, I think so. You know, I and, definitely think it did with the Braves. Definitely think it did. Yeah, and, and that's something that we can... They, they were not ready for that. That's something we can overstate at times how much influence home field advantage actually is. But I think in this situation, it's real, and it's... It's having an impact and an influence on the Phillies' fortunes in a positive way. All right, well, let's talk to Vince. He's in University City. Well, it says he lives in South Philly, so I don't know where he lives. Vince, where do you live? Uh, I'm right on Kamak Street between okay. 12th and 13th and Shunk. All South right, Philly. so you're, how far would that put you from the stadium? I would say about 15 to 20 blocks. Okay, so tell us what you heard last night. Um, I mean, my kid was so excited about it because she could hear it, I mean, through the windows. That stadium was louder than I've ever heard anything in the city of my life. I got chills thinking about it right now. I mean, she kept running out, my six-year-old kept running out back just to listen to them get hyped at every pitch. It was every single pitch. Yeah. That's, it's, that's it's, it's an amazing thing to, to be able to maintain that level for as long as those fans do it. It's it's not like it, it falls off at any point. I mean, and then when Schwarber hits the home run to start the game, they're going to be at that pitch the rest of the night. Yep. Vince, hold oh, on yeah. one second because I want to play something. So this is okay. this guy posted this on Twitter uh, early this morning. His name is Frankie Streff. His Twitter handle is at Streff, S-T-R-E-F-F 97. And this was right before and then after the final out of the game. He lives, by the way, a mile away from the stadium, he said. Mm-hmm. So this is a mile, and here's what you hear. How great is that? that that's amazing. Vince, my, is that, is that what you house, heard, Vince? My house was rocking. I mean, my house was moving. I had all my windows open just to listen to it because it just was the most amazing thing in sports to ever witness. That's Especially great. as a Philly fan, just with all the heartbreak we've went through these last few years with yep. this team and the letdowns at the end for them to finally come through. And then when, when they come through, they push and push and push. It's finally good to see fans in the stands, too, because, I mean, this season was... It was slow really arriving. Vince, you're right, and, and thanks for the call. And, Mike, it's true, and not without merit, that the fans were slow to buy into this team. They had been through a lot of years of disappointment. This year, well, it started out poorly with Girardi. They caught fire with Rob Thompson, but then they really were fading down the stretch. And it, it, so many people were thinking, like, okay, well, you know, I've been through this before. I am not ready to invest. I'm not ready to jump off the roof, you know, mm-hmm. and hope the parachute works. But maybe late arriving crowd, but boy, they they came big. 
that skepticism, as you mentioned, Glenn, was totally justified, totally justified. And I think we talked about this last week. A, a game like Game 3, I think, lends itself to that kind of crowd reaction because the Phillies aren't going to be eliminated last night. You know, if, if they if they end up losing, they're going to be down in the series two games to one. But it's not as if their season could end last night, which is going to lend fans an element of nervousness to to an even heightened degree that they didn't have last night. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you feel freer to cheer and, and let it all out. And then, as we talked about, just the circumstances of the game was such a roller coaster, from Schwarber's homer to the missed opportunity in that inning to the errors to the two-out hits to the umpire's call in the ninth inning to the final strikeout. You're just... You're on this tilt-a-whirl ride for three and a half hours, and then finally when Dominguez strikes out the hitter to end the game, you're like, oh. You get that release. You get that release, and then you you recuperate, and you're ready to do it all over again Saturday night. Kyle, can I hear that one more time? I just, I, I just love that. I want to hear it one more time. This is from a mile away. Here we go. What's the greatest? It's the greatest noise in the world. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's even different from an Eagles game. Like as as Vince was talking, I was thinking back. I was thinking back to the 2017-18 NFC Championship game and how loud Lincoln Financial Field got that night. Especially, mm-hmm. oh, for instance, when Patrick when Patrick Robinson returned yeah, the interception for yeah. the touchdown. I thought that was when that place was at its loudest. But. You didn't have that great expulsion of noise at the end of it because right. the Eagles were destroying the Vikings, <laughs> right? 30 it, points. It was already a party. It was yeah. already, hey, we're going to the Super Bowl. Yep. This was different. This is you light a fuse and then eventually the dynamite explodes. That's great. Great way to put it. All right. So let's just briefly get in today. 215-592-9494. Looking forward to taking your calls today. Uh, game four today, not an ideal situation for the Phillies because they really only have three starters. It is Bailey Falter, who had uh, 16 starts this year, 386 ERA over the course of the season, 86 innings. You said you, you showed me very good strikeout to walk yes. ratio, which Se- is one 70, thing. 74 strikeouts, 17 walks, which how, is good. How many homers in 86 innings? Uh, good question. Let me see if I can find that. Hold on. It's a stat I always look at these days. Yeah. Because everybody uh, hits home runs. Uh, what do we got here? Home runs allowed. Uh, he allowed 16 home runs uh, in 84 that's innings. Pretty bad. That's <laughs> not good. Yeah. They're, they're, All they, right. Pe- teams tend to hit the ball in the air against them. Yeah. So the plan, according to Thompson, is to have him go once through the lineup. It's kind of what they did with uh, Syndergaard in the last series. Mm-hmm. I thought Syndergaard did a nice job. I kind of was thinking he should start, but you've pointed out Padres got a lot of lefties. In there. So left-handers this season hit two twenty-nine against Falter okay. with a six seventy-one OPS. Neither right, of which good. Are, neither of which are good. Yeah, and the Padres had three left-handed hitters in their starting lineup last night. You have Juan Soto, obviously. Yep. You have Jake Cronenworth, the second baseman, and you have Trent Grisham, the center fielder. So you got to hope that that helps in some way, yeah. right? That that certainly was what Thompson said in saying in justifying. I'm going to start oh, falter over three, Syndergaard. Three out of nine is only three out of nine. I, I don't know if they have any switch hitters who can't That's, hit lefties, but I don't know. I hope he survives three. Th- um, this is what they're doing, Glenn. They're well, going to they, take it each, know, each game I, as yeah, its own entity. I, so, But here's where – here's – I don't mean to be the Debbie Downer here because I'm not. I'm very excited. I'm very optimistic. Whatever, Howard. Here, here, no, here's the part. Here's the part that uh, you got to look ahead and you got to consider. If, 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 if. It goes to seven, mm-hmm. and you're up two to one, and you'd like to think it's not going to go to seven. But if it does, there's no day of rest. No. So you are not, according to Thompson, you're not going to even get a second start at a Ranger. 
oh, I think in Game 7, everybody would be, you might pitch Ranger in, in relief if you can. Okay. You know. Okay. I, but it's going to be another bullpen game where everybody's pitching. Again, I'm not being fatalistic, but I'm saying this is where not having a fourth starter is just a little bit of a disappointment because you don't. You think Syndergaard comes out of the bullpen today? Maybe. It's not something he's done a lot. But here's the thing, Glenn, and I think we, we should make mention of this. The last time the Phillies were in the postseason was 2011, as we all know. That was 11 years ago. Yeah. In that period, the thinking on playoff pitching has changed a lot, where you are not necessarily counting on your starter, even your third, especially your yeah. third, fourth, fifth well, starter. Well, that's all of baseball. Right. It starters is. go five innings, and they're not. Seven innings is a complete game now. Right. I know you, you don't like people to invoke this name, but go back to the 2016 playoffs and watch what Terry Francona did <laughs> with the Cleveland Indians staff. <laughs> the, one of the big... You're laughing, and I get no, it. I was just laughing because you busted me. <laughs> that's all right. Um, but one of the big reasons that the Indians almost won the World Series that year, lost to the Cubs in seven games, was that Francona... You know, totally throughout the idea of, well, I'm going to leave my starter in or I'm going to go to, you know, a long reliever in the second or third inning. He had Andrew Miller, mm-hmm. who was lights out at yeah, that time. And he was bringing that guy into the game in the third and fourth inning yeah. to get out of big situations. And that's what you have to do. Uh, and again, you go back to 2011 and we all think about Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels and Roy Oswalt. Yeah, Those there, days are gone. There, it was the anniversary, I think, yesterday or the day before of Schilling closing out the Braves yes. in 93 uh, and he threw 147 pitches. Yeah. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that ain't happening. Yeah. I get it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm fine. I get it. Um, and, and in fairness to Rob Thompson, he mm-hmm. did say that uh, Jose Alvarado and Zach Eflin will be were fine after last night and would be available today. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, but as Don Henley sang, my friend, those days are gone forever. You should just let them go. Wow, that's poetic. Oh, I didn't write it. It's Don Henley. <laughs> Boys <laughs> of summer, baby. Having a great time talking to you all day. By the way, a couple good guests coming up. Tyler Kepner, baseball columnist for the New York Times, and a local product of Montgomery County, is going to join us at 11. Larry Boa, the legend, at noon. And you all day. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. With Mike Sielski, I'm Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. All right, we are celebrating the Phillies, and that means it's time for, to uh, add that into This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Visit their new location at Wayne and Lancaster Avenues in downtown Wayne, or see them at scheibsports.com. Um, so here you go. Today, my friend, mm-hmm. is the, let me do my math, 14th yep. anniversary of Game 1 of the 2008 World Series. I remember that game. Oh, I remember it well. I was at that game. I was not. I was not. I was writing a book at the time and was not traveling to cover the Phillies. So What I recall initially about that game is what a lousy little stadium it was. Oh, it's it's like uh, it's like the slip and slide of Major League Baseball stadiums. There's just <laughs> really? something so plastic about it. Uh, yeah, and just, yeah, it was terrible. Anyway, but who cares? Because it was game one. It was much like last night where you got that great start in the first inning. Here we go. It's the first inning, one on, one out, Chase Utley at bat. 
Utley rips one into right field. At the track, at the wall, it's a good start for the Phillies. 2-0 here in the first. That'll shake off the rust. Yeah, and by the way, for a game in Tampa, there's a lot of noise. There was a lot of noise. A lot of Phillies, there were a lot of Phillies fans down there. I will definitely remember that. Some of whom were people, you know, that's uh, near Clearwater. Yes, yeah, Philadelphia sure. South. Yeah, and can I just say, I know a lot of people don't like Joe Buck, um, both around the country and in the Philadelphia area. I just think he's terrific. I think he's really good on baseball. Uh, I miss him in this postseason. Uh, games that I'm watching when I'm not at them. Uh, and I think that's a terrific call and, and just wanted to throw that out there. Still so. felt that need, did you? What's that? Still felt the need to defend Joe Buck. I like Joe Buck. I think he's really good. I think he's understated. Uh-huh. Um, okay. I, you know, yeah. I, I think when he, he, he does a smart thing in play-by-play, which is when he gets loud, it means something because he's not loud all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. Uh, and, of course, we all remember that World Series, the last one they won before this year. Uh, <laughs> and they go into Tropicana Field, and winning game one put him in great shape for that. That mm-hmm. was the year that Cole Hamels was unbelievable. Started game one of the NLDS-NLCS World Series, 3-0 and with a 164 ERA he was, in 22 innings. He was incredible in that postseason. I do think people forget how tight that World Series was. The Phillies mm-hmm. won three one-run games. One in their last at bat when Carlos Ruiz hit that chopper up line. Oh, that, yeah, that 60 you know, foot. Yeah, that Evan Longoria threw into the stands. Right, Eric Bruntlett comes in, yeah. Right. Um, but it was a tight series. And of course, game five took, what, 90 hours Three to days, finish? Four yeah. days. Yep, absolutely. Um, but so. it was great. And Brad Lidge. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned all those one run games. He was the guy who saved all those one run games. It was great. What a great year it was. And maybe we've got a new one. It's it's possible. That's it's our very Shive possible. Vintage Sports moment. Best caller of the day gets a $50 gift card to Shive Vintage Sports. Matt in Conshohocken. What are you thinking, Matt? Yo, yo. What's up, guys? We're good. Good morning, Matthew. Oh, man. I'm riding right now the game with my son, Mickey. Mickey, say what's up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, How old is yeah, Mickey? We're trying, we're, we're raising some Philly fans over here. How old is Nikki? Nikki is eight years old. Love it. Good. Good work. His. Yeah. So this is and this we talked about this Mike and I over the last couple of weeks and Mike's got this with his own kids. Nikki at eight years old. This is exactly when I became a baseball fan. Me too. And the fact that he's got this team to follow with his dad, maybe his mom too. I don't know if he's got siblings, but into you know this great postseason, it's going to make him a fan for life, Matt. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, my, my grandfather, he came over from Ireland when he was like 17 years old, and he had become a real big Phillies fan. And he passed away when I was, you know, about six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And when the Phillies made it to the World Series after we beat the Dodgers, I, my buddy went in for the lottery and he got, you know, two tickets for, you know, standing room only tickets. And his dad already had tickets, so he gave them to me. So I got to call my dad and, uh, you know, tell him that we made him, we're going to the Phillies game for the World Series. Oh, uh, that's great. He that's- was broke down crying and it was the best moment of my life that I can remember is just having that experience. We were at game five, you know, the first part, the weather was terrible. It was a couple innings and then, uh, well, thankfully they gave us a day to recover because it was a long, long stretch run there of celebrating. So, so did you say that you and your son are going tonight? No, no, we're not going tonight. We're going to his soccer game right now. Okay. Got it. You're going to that game. All right. We're going to that game. I hope he scores five goals. Yeah. What do you think, Mick? How many goals are you going to get 
Two will work. Great. There you go. Hey, nice to talk to you guys. Great, have a great, great to time. talk. I like any athlete who calls his shot. I, I don't care how old he is. And eight-year-old Nicky, man, I, I will be checking the agate in tomorrow's newspaper and ESPN.com during the day to see if you got your two goals in your soccer game, man. Um, I've talked about this before, and you have too. And what is you know, I'm at the age where it's like, okay, I see a good team and go through a bad era. I'll, when they get better again I'll you know still be there mm-hmm. but when you are young and your team is good and it's kind of your first bonding experience with your team you remember it forever absolutely for me it was the buffalo bills <laughs> when i was 11 years old won the afl and all these years later, I can tell you everybody in the lineup. I can tell you the mm-hmm. backup right guard. His yeah. name was George Flint. Yeah. It's like yeah. I, I remember all of it because it's the most important thing in the world to you, and it's great. And it's when you're young, everything is magnified. Right? Oh, yeah, because it's it's all new to you at that time. I mean, I felt the same way about the, the two Flyers teams that went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 1985 and 1987. I was 10 and 12 years old, and, and we've talked in the past about – the summer of 1993 and turning 18 then and spending that entire summer were like, yeah, you want to go hang out with your friends and walk the boardwalk and meet girls. But it's like, hey, the, but the Phillies, I mean, yeah. this is this is what we've been waiting for our whole lives, yes. you know, and um, you're right. It makes an impression on you that never goes away. And even like, what do you say, Nikki's eight, something yeah. like that? Okay, so when you're that age, it's even more. Yes. you're not thinking about the girls on the boardwalk, right? Right, that's true. My biggest... Like, you know, when you're older, it's like, oh, they got to deal with the mortgage, and they got that stupid <laughs> boss, and it's like, right, your yes. life is life. Yeah. And sports is a nice diversion. When you're a kid, sports is every... All I remember from when I was that years old was watching sports, playing sports, and the fear that Mitchell Fox was going to beat me up on the school bus. <laughs> and that was it. That was like the entire existence. Glenn, Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond uh-huh. does an absolutely hilarious comedy stand-up bit about... He asks his daughter, I think, what are you thinking about? And she's five or six years old. And the daughter says, candy. And he, he goes, that, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Right. I, I, I will never be that happy again. Right. Who has time just to think about candy and just goes into the whole middle-aged man thing that you just referenced? And right. it's hilarious. Right. And so, you know, when you're eight-year-old Nikki, mm-hmm. and thank you to our last caller for making him kind of the guy we can use all day, Nikki's going to be our, our guy. Yeah. The Phillies now, I'm sure that Nicky woke up thinking about the Phillies. Yep, maybe, absolutely. Maybe his soccer game, too. Well, yeah. He's, 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 gonna, he's, he's planning out how he's going to score his two goals. Right. So, yeah, let's be honest he's already here. called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't let us down now, kid. Um, and tonight, we'll see how long his dad lets him stay up to watch. Well, Nicky appara- fall asleep watching. Well, tonight. apparently Nick has Nikki has tape to watch after the game of his game of what he, the game he just played and <laughs> right. the prep for the next. There's one. a lot going on, but yeah. um, it's so special for kids. And the other thing that the caller brought up that to me is so important is the way it's generational. Yes, his grandfather comes over from Ireland. What do you say at age seventeen mm-hmm. and becomes a Phillies fan? Yeah, right, and hands it down. To his dad and or his son and then his son and 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 it's like that's the great thing. So my grandmother came over from Ireland um, when she was in her early twenties. Uh, she had met my the my grandfather. Uh, he was a Marine stationed in Ireland uh, during World War II, and they came over. She came over to marry him, and became a big Philadelphia sports fan. Loved the Phillies. Loved Pete Rose. Came to love American football, but. <laughs> One of the funny things about her being a fan, and a, a very quick anecdote, one of her favorite players was the Steelers running back, 
the great Steelers running back, Franco Harris. Oh, sure. Except that she didn't realize he was half black, half Italian, mm-hmm. that his name was Franco Harris. Oh. She thought his name was Frank <laughs> O'Harris. <laughs> And this became a joke in our family for years. Um, I even mentioned it, God God rest her soul, I mentioned it in her eulogy a couple of years ago when she passed away. But um, what a, just an awesome, awesome lady, herself a great Philadelphia sports fan and very similar to the story we just heard. It's it's great. It's really a huge part of what's going on right now and it's what really makes it a lot of fun. Let me get John up here. John wants to talk about the manager and some of his decisions. You liking him or not liking him, John? Uh, It's very confusing. Why does he pull Schwarber from left field for defensive replacement? He pulls Bohm from third base for defensive replacement. But yet he's got Venus DeMilo at first base. Oh, I thought you were going to say the right fielder. Yeah. Okay. No, well, you can't pull everybody, but... Well, there's your answer. He's already pulled, you know, Schwarber and Bohm. But the guy that's been making the most errors at first base, he's, like, entrenched in there, and nobody can defensively replace him. Who who are you going to put in? Uh, Veerling would be better than, than what he's doing. When was the last time Matt Veerling <clears throat> played first base? We'd have to look that up. I think. Well, he played second for the first time this year, and nobody, nobody better than I there. I know. Well, it was a regular season game. If he screwed up, he screwed up. Are you going to do that in the playoffs? Well, it just baffles me that they don't have one person on that team defensively that could replace him at first. It's like at the late, at the, the last inning. At yeah, least. I think that, but I think that is the answer to your question. Uh, listen, I'll agree with the premise that he is a huge liability at first base. No question about that. The problem is you really don't have somebody to put there. And, wow. and the other problem is, is you have defensive liabilities, really, if you think about it, all over the place. Uh, I get that, but he's the, he's the most glaring, let's face it. <laughs> he is the most glaring defensive liability on this team. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If, if you're going to make changes to defensive positions late in games, mm-hmm. you're going to shore up those positions where if a mistake is made, it's going to cause you the most damage, right? right so right. you want if a long fly ball is hit out to left field, you want to know that that left fielder is going to catch it, right? I mean, this this was one of the key questions around Black Friday back in 1977 yeah. was why oh, was Greg Lazinski still in left field? That living infamy, won't it? Yeah. yeah, you remember that one, I bet. Oh, my God. Yeah. I still hate that day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Thanks, John. So Matt Vierling played uh, two games at first base this year, two innings. My thought is it probably was a late game switch where they just kind of got by. He had exactly one play, which he executed well, so he's got a feeling percentage of 1,000. Yeah, again, that's not a. I would say that's not a big enough sample size to take the chance of putting him in at first base for Reese Hoskins. Do you believe next year they bring back Hoskins at first, Bohm at third? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. And we're asking at a time when this team is going toward a World Series, yeah. so it's like we're going to love everybody. But right, exactly. Take a, take a moment out of that, put on your Joe Banner costume. Well, it's interesting take out the, right? Take out the... the over loyalties. Yeah, here, here's the thing about it, though. I think, I think we've talked about this before on the show. The question is, what's your next move? Because if you have to trade Reese Hoskins to get Trey Turner, for instance, then you have to think about it because Turner is that good. And you take Bohm and you move him to first base and you, you figure out, you reconfigure the left side or yeah. right side of the infield, maybe. So here's my problem with that. Bohm doesn't hit well enough to be a first baseman. 
I don't think Bohm really hits well enough to be a third baseman because mm. I, you need in this you day and age pop. you need some power. What do you hit this year? Thirteen home runs? 14 yeah, about home runs? Uh, he hit thirteen. Yeah, yeah. I OPS mean, of seven thirteen, which yeah, isn't great. No, it's subpar. Particularly, yeah. what, what's his? Let's get real stat geeky here. What's his <laughs> OPS plus? OPS plus is one hundred. Okay, <laughs> which is exactly average. Yes, yeah. I need better than that and a starting third baseman on a team. Well, listen, he's he, been doing great. I love him. Win us a World Series. I'll carry you around on my shoulders, mm-hmm. but I can't play that guy at first base unless I get more offense. You can't play that version of Alec Bohm if you think, because he's only 25, that there's more that can be tapped into there, then mm-hmm. maybe you factor that into your calculation. Okay. And maybe they maybe they believe that. Right. And right. Long, the hitting coach, has done a really nice job with a lot of people this year. Maybe that's next year's project, but the idea... Of putting him on first base, you just need more offense there. Unless you know, listen, if you get great offense, second, short, third, I can live with it. But right. yeah, I mean, then that's the project because Stott's not going to be. Stott, I think, has room to develop, but I don't think Stott's going to be a super offensive player. No, but Stott can be better than two thirty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, six fifty three OPS. Yeah, I think Stott could be what Boom is this year. Right, and and you also probably factor your, factor into your thinking. Nick Castellanos is going to be better next year yeah. than he was this season. Agreed. And, um, you take those sorts of things into consideration when you're when you're thinking about changing a team that might very well win a World Series, Glenn. Already you want to break up the 2022 Phillies. I'm just raising a point. Let's sneak at Jack in Santa Barbara real quick before the break. What's up, Jack? Hey, hey Mike. How do you like this stuff, huh? It, not bad, Jack. Well, you know, I had to live through 64, Mike. So, who who won in '64? The Cardinals, right? Yes. And we and when we bumped them off, my sins of '64 were over. Wow. So wow. All... You do carry a grudge, man. Fifty-eight uh, years. Y- your sins. Uh, uh, were, were you part of the ten-game losing streak, Jack? Were you the one yeah. who let Chico Ruiz steal home? Yeah, my tears. <laughs> <laughs> my tears. Oh man. You really you harbor it, man. You harbor it. I love it. Well, hey, I'm Philly. You know, you don't let, get to let go if you're Philly. <laughs> <laughs> good point. That's a very good point. That yeah. is the one. And Jack, I hate to do this to you, but I got to run because we were hitting the break. But that is the one where people of a certain age, Jack, Ray Didinger, my father, your dad. I remember Mayor Rendell used to talk mm-hmm. about this. That gave the that generation the scar that they carried for so long that some of them, and Jack isn't one, and certainly Ray isn't one, I don't know about your dad, but just remain the uh, the lifelong pessimist of, hey, they're going to blow it. Well, because they had previously been to the World Series in 1950, 14 years earlier. Right. They didn't get back to the playoffs for another 12 years, 1976, didn't get back to the World Series for another 16 years. Yeah, it's long. That was the year. It's a long it was dry spell to, for yeah. anybody. Yeah, That's that, a 30-year dry spell. Yeah. Man, I, I understand why it stays with people of a certain age. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we go national with New York Times baseball columnist, local guy, though, Tyler Kepner, really sharp guy. We're going to talk to him. Don't forget, Larry. Castellanos leads off second. And the pitch to Bowl. Swung on and line. Down toward right center field. Soto's coming on. He can't get it. He dives.
Edge. It goes all the way to the wall. Castellano scores easily. RBI double, Alec Bohm, and the Phillies are on top four to two. And that is all she wrote as they hold on to that with some good bullpen work. And take a two-to-one lead uh, over the San Diego Padres in the NLCS. Tyler Kepner joins us. Tyler is the baseball columnist for the New York Times. Like Mike Sealski, he is a product of the mean streets of Montgomery County. You can follow Tyler on uh, Twitter at Tyler Kepner, K-E-P-N-E-R. How you doing? Good, guys. How are you? We're doing great, as you can well imagine. Uh, by the way, Tyler has a new book just out, The History of World, the World Series, The Grandest Stage. And I want to start by taking a quote from your book and using it as the basis of a question. And you quote Ruben Amaro in this book, and he's talking about the great Phillies teams of 08 to 11. And Ruben, this is actually, you talked to him about how they lost to the Yankees in 09, dropped the NLCS to the Giants in 2010, and then Division Series the Cardinals in 2011. And you quote Ruben here saying, when you're talking about playoff baseball, really, it's the team that's playing the best baseball. They're getting the breaks. They're making the breaks. I don't think we had the best team in 08, of course, when they won. I think Boston had the best in 08, but they got beat. So are we now seeing the flip side of that? Are we now seeing the Phillies as, hey, the last team into the playoffs as the team that's playing well, getting the breaks, doing everything right, and maybe found that magic? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I you know, it's it's. It's really, I think Rob Thompson said something in San Diego that was pretty cool. He said, like, for us, the pressure was just getting here. You know, that was that was the hard part, was, was getting into the playoffs and breaking the drought and all that stuff. And once they were in, it, it seems like it's been um, a different team, a team that's playing, uh, you know, looser and, and, and getting the most out of itself, which is really, I think, really what, what we've been waiting for um, if, if we've been watching this team. You know, like, they've had... Uh, good players. They've done a lot of right things um, here. You know, they spent really well. Um, they brought in a lot of talent and even developed some. And uh, it's all coming together. It doesn't matter if they only won 87. You just got to get in and see what happens. And um, and they're making it happen. Tyler, it's good to talk to you, my friend. One of the things that Glenn and I have been kicking around this morning is uh, Rob Thompson's approach to pitching, particularly with ahead of tonight's game in game four, starting Bailey Falter. You know, do you take Ranger Suarez out after 68, 68 pitches last night? You obviously have a much broader perspective on this, you know, deeper knowledge of Major League Baseball and the trends and the way people think about these questions now. Kind of what's your perspective and take on the way Thompson is handling the pitching staff? You know, do you worry about game five or a potential game six or seven? Or do you say to yourself, you know what? We got to win tonight, and whatever it takes to win tonight, we'll deal with the repercussions later. Yeah, that's the approach, Mike. You know, just win the game in front of you, and I think that's what we saw last night. You know, like in real time, I didn't love taking out Suarez because he hadn't shown any reason uh, to doubt him at that point. Um, but it worked. I mean, look, if, they, if he, gave, he gave you five, that's great. If you feel like Eflin's a better matchup to get you through six, you know, based on how his stuff aligns with the particular hitters and it works, then, Hey, that's great. I mean, you know, he was, wasn't going to go much more than six anyway. These guys don't do that much. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a slightly different way of, of, of watching baseball. And it's going to be really different as we go forward with no off days, the rest of the series. Um, but I think Thompson has 
earned the trust. Um, I mean, like I didn't love taking Wheeler out of the one hitter the other day, but I guess, you know, his, his velo was dropping a little bit and then he agreed to it. So I think Thompson has really earned that trust with the players and they're making him look good by, by executing. I mean, so it's going to be weird today, you know, seeing Salter, you know, only go through the lineup once, if that, and then mixing and matching, but win the game in front of you. Um, worry about tomorrow the next day because these wins are so precious. Just get it and then try to figure it out. So, Tyler, this works if you get a bullpen that you can trust. And for much of this year, certainly for the last five, six years, the Phillies haven't had that at all. Your column today um, in the Times, or at least on the website of the Times, uh, the headline of which is a reliable bullpen is exactly what the Phillies needed. We didn't see it until recently. What's the turnaround? Yeah, well, they've found a uh, a late-game combination that works, and you can throw so many possible uh, permutations at it as they have the last few years, right? I mean, you don't need to go through all the all the names of the Workmans and Kennedys and Knables and, and, and all the different guys, Bradley, who, who they tried out. This, this grouping seems to be working. I mean, Alvarado and Dominguez, Eflin as well, um, have all been great, but particularly those first two. I mean, they Alvarado's pitched in every win in this postseason. Um, they haven't lost when they've used Dominguez or Eflin. Um, and that's how teams win in October. I mean, in the, in the book, I, I go through kind of the reasons why the Braves didn't win more than one title, and it was just because they could never quite get that reliable end game. You know, you think about Braves uh, relief pitchers back then, and it was Alejandro Pena or Jeff Reardon or John Rocker or, or, or Greg McMichael. It was always it was sort of someone different. You know, Mark Wollers had one good postseason, but he didn't really sustain it. Um, and the Giants won three in the tens because their relievers were always nails. So you can't, you just can't afford to blow a lot of games. I mean, it goes without saying um, to to win in October. But if your relievers, if you find that combination that shuts it down, wins the game you're supposed to win, that's when you get rings. Tyler, what was the perception of the Phillies around Major League Baseball before the playoffs began? Was there a feeling that this was a sleeping giant if they could put everything together? Was there a feeling of, oh, it's the Phillies, they'll blow it again? Um, They always come up short in September. Kind of give us the pulse of what baseball thought of this team before the postseason began. Yeah, I think there was a lot to prove. I mean, they certainly had the star power. I think it was looked at as kind of an underachieving team, um, for sure. But when they traded Girard, or when they traded Girard, when they got rid of Girardi and, and, and brought in uh, Thompson, um, everything changed. And I, I think at that point, it sort of became this team that that uh, you know, like, wow, do you realize how hot the Phillies are? Like, how good the Phillies have been since since uh, they made that managing change. I, mean, I did a story on Rob Thompson. Um, in August, I guess, kind of just pointing out like the difference that 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 he had made and, and how well the team had been playing since then. You know, you, you follow various Twitter accounts and they, you know, you'll see like, huh, like they they have the same record through this number of games as the '08 and the 1980 team. Oh, that's interesting. You know, so you start thinking like, well, maybe there is something going on here. Um, certainly they have to prove it, but uh, I think it kind of took a while for people to notice just how hot this team was uh, just because of the bad start. But you mentioned Rob Thompson, and yeah, I mean, the numbers certainly bear it out. You uh, spent a lot of time in New York. You're based in New York. I'm sure you see the Yankees a lot, watched Rob Thompson over the years. Um, He's not, 
he's not what we're used to as a manager. Uh, he's quiet and you don't get a lot out of him and so on. What do you see is why? I guess it's a simple question. Why has he been so successful? He's a guy who, you know, genuinely cares a lot more about his players than about his own profile. He was never that guy in New York where um, he sought out attention. If you want to talk to him, he was he was fine. He was cool. He was, he was uh, he had a wry sort of sense of humor. Um, you always knew that he kind of saw everything in the room and knew knew what was going on. Um, but he wasn't going to be out there uh, cheerleading for himself or promoting himself. He just cared about the players. Um, he was always the most prepared guy in there. And that's what um, really matters to the players is, is if they know, if they can tr- they'll trust you if they know that you're prepared and you really care, care about them. Um, doesn't matter that he didn't play in the big leagues. It doesn't matter that he hasn't won um, championships as a manager. Um, you know, he, he earns their trust and, and baseball people really like those kind of guys who, who just don't just do the job and, don't say a heck of a lot. It's not that he's not like you know revealing much because you know you ask him a question, he'll, he'll you know he'll tell you. But he's he's not uh, he's sincere. I think is the biggest thing. He's sincere and and they see that he's sincere and he's prepared. And you know that that that's what this group needed. So Tyler and I, Glenn, were born I think a month apart and probably like two miles away from each other. <laughs> he grew up in, <laughs> in Flower Town. I grew up kind of in Glenside. You know, Ardsley, Abington, Upper Dublin. I, I just remember having talking to Tyler before about how he likes to say he used to score regularly off his neighbor Mike Richter. That's correct. There right? you go. That's at Flower Town Zone. You, you can't mention I don't the know name. If I ever scored off him, but he was my next neighbor. <laughs> you, you can't mention Mike Richter without prefacing it by saying Flower Town Zone, Mike Richter. There you go. Um, it's like That's his right. real first name. Um, but but Tyler, you've written in your book, The Grandest Stage, and I think you and I have talked about this. Um, that as a fan, you went to the 1983 World Series. And that that was the big event that really got you hooked into baseball. Um, and you, it, you've made it your career. In some ways, you've made it your life. What, what is it like for you to, on the one hand, have this national perspective and love of the sport and you're covering it in its totality, but to still, you know, based on your, your youth and your childhood, um, to be able to cover the Phillies, you know, in a postseason series like this, um, you know, kind of take us through how you do it and what you're, what you're thinking and feeling while you're doing it. Yeah, I, I've, you know, covering the, the 08, uh, the 07, 08 um, rise, really. Um, that last game in 07 uh, when they beat Washington to get into the playoffs and then throughout the 08 run was, was obviously really special. Um, and, but it was special to me because, you know, because I knew the history and I knew so many people who, who care so much about it still as fans. Um, and it was a great story. Um, you know, when, when they lost in 09, that was, I was the Yankees beat writer. I covered the Yankees for eight years. It was a great story for the Yankees to get back on top um, and to beat the champions to do it. So you realize that it's, it, 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 you look for, you look for stories. And when the Phillies are the story, um, that works for me because I, I can, I feel like I can bring, um, a, a little more depth to a little more texture to what's going on with the team um, because I've I've have followed them um, my whole life so it's it's definitely not a matter of rooting I mean I, I've, I've right. heard plenty of stories about them when they're not going well um, but like in 08 you know I, I knew Dave Montgomery my whole life so I could write a profile of Dave Montgomery um, 
with a lot of sort of nuanced history that you know maybe other national writers didn't grasp because they didn't know Dave their whole life. So uh, that kind of thing, um, you know, is is where it comes in handy. Um, you know, just being attuned to things in the area, like you know, I can go to Hatboro and write about the relief room. <laughs> like, yeah. like the fan out there who who uh, who honors the Phillies relievers in his bathroom, or I can write a story last year about um, how Mike Schmidt. Uh, the 50th anniversary of the drafting of Mike Schmidt, which was the most successful draft pick in Major League history um, in terms of you know contributions for the team that drafted you. Um, statistically, it really is, and, and, and I think by eye test, too. So, yeah, so I can find those kind of stories um, because of my history uh, following this team, and, and, and that's, uh, that's a pretty gratifying piece to be able to do. All right, let's close by telling you about a new, uh, speaking of the World Series, you have a new book that is just out, The History of the World Series, The Grandest Stage by Tyler Kepner, which we hope you're going to have to soon do an addendum adding the Phillies year. But tell us a little bit about the structure of the book. By the way, your last book, uh, K, was just terrific. Loved it. I look forward to getting and reading this book. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks. It's, uh, it, like Mike mentioned, it was, you know, it all sort of stems from being eight years old and going to a World Series game in the afternoon at the Vet. Um, they lost. Obviously, 83 is not that well remembered um, because it was so close to 80, but uh, I missed 80. I was five years old, right, Mike? So I don't know, remember anything about 1980, but yeah. I have that image of uh, Gary Maddox lining out to Cal Ripken burned in my memory. Me too, yeah. And I, I was thought from the front row at the Vet because, you know, I stuck down there when fans had left. So, um, I've always paid a lot of close attention to the World Series. I've always loved it as an event. I always thought there was uh, material there for a book that that was that would not be structured like a um, like a reference book. You know, first first series to last, go through them one by one. Um, I wanted a more of a readable um, narrative, and and so I chose a lot of different themes. I chose dealing with the pressure of the World Series and unsung heroes and managing in the series and. Um, how to build a World Series team. And there's Philly stuff throughout it. I mean, I talked with Mike Schmidt about how, how he could be so locked in and be the MVP in 1980 and yet couldn't get outside his own head in 83 and he went one for 20. You know, how to mm-hmm. deal with the pressure, right? I mean, I talked to Del Unser kind of about being uh, a, an unsung hero who stepped up in the big moments. Um, I talked to Roger Mason about how he was kind of the, the guy they should have stuck with in, in, in Game 6 in Toronto. Um, you know, when Fergosi, you know, went to the exhausted relievers, um, you know, West and Anderson and, and, and Williams, instead of just sticking with the one guy who, for some reason, was having the night of his life. Right. You know, so, so like, getting into that stuff, um, I think will really resonate with the fans around here in particular, because um, hopefully I was able to, to you know, bring out some of the things that they remember or, or you know, for the good and the bad of this, uh, of this great event. Can't wait to read it. Um, good stuff, Tyler, as always. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Tyler Kepner. Get his book. Read him in the New York Times. Pleasure to talk to you, man. Always love it. Great. All right, there uh, you go. Tyler, see you later that. this afternoon, man. There you go. That's right. That's right. All right, let's sneak in Joe from North Wales before the break. Hello, Joe. Hey, Glenn Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Got you got I it. Love your, I love your What's Brewing show. I watch it every, every Thank week. you. It is on tonight. After It's on at 930 and after Philly's postgame on NBC Sports Philadelphia. We sit yeah. around and drink beer and talk like idiots. <laughs> it's a great show. Very, Thank very you. I, I thought that was our radio show, Glenn. Well, we don't have the beer, but I can bring some. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go ahead. So, Glenn, I'm, uh, I think, the same generation as you. I was 18 years old in 1980. And uh, I just watched that, that NLCS and we're going nuts. And I wanted to go to game one in the World Series. I didn't have any tickets, but I decided I wanted to go. I'm going. So mm-hmm. 
my buddy uh, used to have to walk past my house to get home from school. He went to the prep, and he's walked past my house, and I went out, and I said, we're going to the game today. He goes, you got tickets? I said, no, I don't have tickets, but we're going anyway. Good plan. So we drive down to the vet, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get in. And I don't know if you guys remember, but the, the outside of the vet had the ramps, but the out, the ramps were covered by like a, a heavy-duty chain-link fence. Yep. Went up mm-hmm. the yep. Right? You remember yep. that? Yeah. Yep. So we're trying to figure out how to get in. I, finally, I just said to my buddy, I'm going. So I climbed that fence about two stories <laughs> up. Wow. Jumped onto, wow. The, jumped onto the ramps. I, I leaned over to tell my buddy where to meet me, and here comes security guard. He's running down the ramp, right? And so I start running. And he catches me down at the 200 level because once you get down there, you're, you know, you're, you're right. stuck. Nowhere right? to go. So then he takes me down to the field. I'm looking at the Royals. They're at batting practice. I can't believe I'm going to get kicked out of this game. I'm inside. He takes me over to a motorcycle cop. And he says, this kid just snuck in. Get him out of here. The cop takes me, walks me out. And he goes, all right, what's your name, kid? And I tell him my name. And I'm a junior. My father was a captain yeah wow my name is the same name as his and he goes are you so-and-so's son i said i said yeah i am he goes uh get on the back of this bike he's really mad at me he drives me basically out to broad street and he goes all right get out of here right so, oh ah not where i thought it was going yes well it gets better so you gotta go wrap it up because i gotta hit a commercial real fast um, all right. Well, anyway, 41 years later, I'm at my dad's funeral, my, my hero of my life, that same cop comes up to me at the receiving line. He says, hey, you remember me? You were on the back of my motorcycle 41 years ago. Wow. And I, well, and that's I said, okay. Oh the God. story would have been better if he let you stay in the game. Yeah. That's, that's where I th- the story was going. That's what I thought was going to happen. I know he- your dad. Here. Here's a seat. Right. Exactly. You know, uh, come stand with the police dogs uh, and make sure nobody... Bum rushes the field. Not the friendliest cop in the world. All right. 215. (laughs) We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, well, we're watching sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Guided Door and Window today at one eight seven seven go guida or visit goguida.com. Now, normally, Mike, we talk about things that we have watched already and give out recommendations. Today's a little bit different. We're talking about a movie that is premiering tomorrow at the Philadelphia Film Festival. Sold-out performance, but there's another one later in the week where I believe people can get tickets the name of the movie is Rittenhouse Square. The writer, director, everything is a local guy. Let me just tell you about this guy before I call him up. His name is Brandon Eric Kamen. He's a Havertown guy, former intern, WIP intern for Ray Dinger and me. 
Grew up. Kyle Quinn gives you something to shoot for, man. There you go. Esteemed <laughs> filmmaker. Uh, I, I've known him since he was a kid. He's not a kid anymore. Uh, now he's a filmmaker, and he joins us. Brandon Kamen, how are you this morning? you got to be feeling great. Uh, thanks for having me, Glenn and uh, Mike. Uh, you know, it, it brings me back to when I was five years old, top shelfing you in street hockey. Yes. But, you know, we've come a long way. <laughs> just, just to, And I've talked about this in the air before. We used to have in our neighborhood these street hockey games that would go on for like eight hours. Oh, my gosh. And they, it would start, and then you'd kids would come and go. And, you know, they'd like go in for lunch and come back out, but there'd still be people playing. And I was kind of the the – Steady goalie. Okay. And not particularly good. So, yes, Brandon has scored on me a few times. <laughs> but now, you've made this movie, Rittenhouse Square. It does premiere tomorrow. Tell us a little bit about the story of the movie. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Rittenhouse Square, I've always gravitated towards, you know, projects that are kind of like underdog, uh, you know, uh, against the odds types of uh, storylines. You know, our first movie was The Nomads about a rugby team in North Philly. This one uh, is about two young, uh, no, two people, uh, kind of different walks of life. Uh, a young kid from suburbs who's like a street singer, group of friends, and an older veteran played by uh, Nick Nolte uh, in Rittenhouse Square, both on the path of like self-destruction, and they uh, remedy their dark times with their friendship and, and, and music. So, Brandon, there are multiple stars in this movie, and we'll get to one of them in a minute. But um, I want to know what it was like to work with Nick Nolte. Uh, you know, obviously a, a famous, a well-accomplished actor. Um, so many great performances and so many great roles. What was it like to work with him? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine I was a little intimidated at first going out to meet him. I mean, this is only my second narrative film. Um, I spent, you know, 10, 12 years in, in commercials. So, so, you know, I wrote this with him in mind. He was my number one, and when he was interested... You know, I got to go out there and meet him. And when I tell you the guy could have been more humble, more excited to be a part of the project, it really just put everything at ease. You know, we would Zoom two to three times a week for months leading up to the project and just run lines together. So we were, we were boys kind of going into it. And it was, it was, he's one of us. He really is. He's a football guy, you know, North Dallas 40, blue yeah. chips, he's yep. a basketball guy, UFC, you know, warrior. Captain, you know, he's a three-time you know, Academy nominee, Academy Award nominee, Golden Globe winner. I mean, this this is a guy with like 240 movies under his belt, and here he comes to Philly to work on an indie project. I was like, I was over the moon. Yeah, and and uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the movies. I'm looking forward to seeing it tomorrow. But he really, uh, he really did you justice. By the way, when Brandon was an intern for Ray and I, is when Ray and I were writing the Ultimate Book of Sports movie, and essentially Brandon was how old were you at the time 19 whatever how old maybe younger than that no i was i was i was like 15 okay yeah and we had we had him kind of give us guidance on these sports movies for kids which turned out to be a great chapter so glenn yeah glenn at first he told me to like give my best movies and then all the movies that i knew that's true (laughs) and present (laughs) (laughs) yeah like some stupid skateboard movie but hey we got it in there um the city, specifically Rittenhouse Square, is a character in the movie, and I think people of Philadelphia will really appreciate how you honored the city in this movie. Well, that's, you know, not to mention you have a great cameo in there as well. Not even a cameo, you have a principal role in there. Oh, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that, trust me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, authenticity is, of course, at the core of any project I want to be a part of. You know, we're using Rittenhouse Square for the majority of the movie. Uh, and, and locations around the area. Um, and we're using street performers that you would see every day in the square. 
um, as well. So, you know, just be, you know, being in Philadelphia, filming in Philadelphia, having a cast and crew that's predominantly local, um, creating jobs here. I mean, that's, that's what we're all about. What were the challenges of shooting in Rittenhouse Square, Brandon? So, I mean, look, we were filming in the middle of the pandemic, like the, the heat of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, of course, like a line item you're not expecting a part of your indie budget is like, oh, yeah, like here's 100 grand for uh, uh, COVID testing. We're like, what? <laughs> <Get out. laughs> yeah. so, but, that's, but that's when you get um, Philly steps up. We have each other's back. So Jefferson Hospital is like, hey, we got you. Don't worry about it. Um, so that was just like a production savior. Um, so weather when you're filming outside is a huge thing as well. But really, you can't shut down Rittenhouse Square. You can get a permit, but you can't shut it down. And, you know, when you're at 18th and Walnut with Nick Nolte and a 100-person crew with big cameras, you're going to create some buzz. But everybody in Philly was what we thought it would be, which was everyone was chill and relaxed and excited to just sit back and enjoy the show. Um, the movie premieres, as we said, tomorrow. There is another viewing later in the week. Will people be able to get tickets for that? Yeah, I'm told through the uh, film festival that it's it's getting you know it's getting sold out pretty quickly. But if you want to grab some seats, uh, go to filmadelphia.org and uh, check out Rittenhouse Square. Uh, there's also a Rittenhouse Square documentary playing from 2005 from Robert Downing Jr. Uh, uh, senior, but uh, just make sure you go to the Nick Nolte one and uh, ah. try to snatch some tickets. <laughs> so, Brandon, Glenn has yeah. been talking to me about his cameo in your film for months, and he's basically described it as the greatest performance by an actor playing a police officer since Al Pacino in Serpico. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Describe his acting skills easy, for our audience, fellas, please. Easy there. Basically, if they, if they try to recast 48 Hours with Nolte again, I would say... <laughs> Eddie Murphy out, Mac now in. Yeah, well, here's all I know. I was originally in two scenes. Brandon, as often happens, had to cut the length of it. I did make one scene, I I have to believe, because it seemed a pretty critical part of the movie. So I did. I am on the screen at least for one scene, correct? Yeah, it's, you're, you're on the screen. You know, he always busts my chops for the Nomads movie. Yes. He was a referee in the movie, and if you blinked, you missed him. Right, I was correct. I so bad about that. Yeah. So, uh you know, he's in there. My mom's in there. Oh, you got them all. Yeah. There wow. you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The name of the movie is Rittenhouse Square. You can see it, uh, would you say, Wednesday night? Uh, it's this Sunday uh, on the bye week, you know, intentionally. Yeah. And then uh, next Sunday as well, so 730 at the Philadelphia Film Center. Terrific. And we are hoping that it gets wide distribution and you become a mogul, my friend. Good for <laughs> you. you. Nicely Thank done. You. Thank way to, way to right. go, Brandon. Congratulations. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow night. Going to the premiere tomorrow night. The red carpet, baby. You're going to leave me behind yeah. and go forge this next career of yours as like the next Javier Bardem. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. exactly it. Let us uh, let us talk to Mike in Yardley. Want to talk about that Profar check swing? What do you think, Mike? Well, I, I looked at it and I thought he swung. And my son was on the... Uh, Right field foul line, six six rows back, and got a pretty good look at it. The fact of the matter is, is that if Profar hadn't rotated at his waist, he wouldn't have had a swing. Yeah, and by he the did. way, I just he looked at that through there, and it, it, I'm sorry, it was a swing. Yeah, I said earlier, I don't know about that, and I have since looked at uh, still shots of it, and it certainly as bad as going through the strike zone. So. Yeah, that went through the strike zone, but again, if he hadn't rotated, where the bat is in relation to his shoulders. 
it wouldn't have gone through. Yeah. But he, he rotated, and he, that's Yeah, he didn't, he didn't move. It wasn't because he broke his wrists or his hands moved too much. It was as if his upper body and torso, you know, took him through the zone. Took him through the zone, and the umpire made the right call, and I understand why he was angry, but, you know, he's just, he's feeling where his bat is in relation to everything else. But, you know, the uh, rest of his body, but not with regard to where the bat was <laughs> in yeah. the strike zone. Yeah, you got no argument for me. No, no and, no, and, no, and no. I'll say this too, Mike. That was an all-time eruption in reaction to that call. I mean, that was oh, yeah. that was one that people will talk about in, in when they talk about playoff baseball, certainly with respect to the Phillies or the Padres for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is I'm not second-guessing Rob Thompson on his pitching selections and uh, you know taking people in and out and how he's doing it because if it ain't broke don't fix it and i'm not going to criticize him for it until something really bad happens and nothing really bad has happened yet i said to my son you know you always know when you leave a guy in too long but you never know when you've taken him out too early you know and Mm -hmm. so far I'm not complaining with the results. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And a ride with Rob is what you're gonna do. You uh, for the time being, yes, indeed. Okay, uh, sounds no. qualified. <laughs> uh, like maybe sorta, but I I hear you. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. Here's what he may do today. Okay, going to John Stolness, frequent guest on the morning uh-huh. show, sharp guy. Yeah. Don't be surprised if Aaron Nola gets an inning out of the pen today. This is his side throw day, I believe. If it's close. Will you give Nola an inning tonight, especially if Sir Anthony is not available? You know, that's an interesting concept for this reason, Glenn. I was listening to part of Game 2, particularly the inning where Nola, you know, gave up the lead and Brad Hand came on and threw gasoline on the fire and all of that stuff. And I believe it was Larry Anderson made the point that Nola was at 95-96 that day, more than he had been in just about any outing this season which suggested that he was too juiced yeah mostly against his brother exactly and the ball was up in the zone he wasn't locating his fastball the way he usually does i wonder if him being a little tired and throwing an inning on his side day might actually benefit him a little bit maybe um you know when when guys throw on their side day it's not exactly like they're throwing in a high leverage playoff game you're not you're not throwing the same way you are Mm mm-hmm but again, you know, I mean, I will ride with Rob. If he thinks 25 pitches from Nola today isn't going to – obviously, we all agree it can't screw up his start, his schedule start game six. Right. Right? You can't in any way risk that. I know you were saying earlier you got to play for the win today, but you can't you, – you don't have anybody else to bank on here. you got no, Wheeler right. and you got Nola, and that's what you got. You're right. And I think what happened in game two with Nola, to your point, is going to persuade or push Thompson – to continue doing what he's doing, right? If anything, he left Nola in the game too long. He yeah. didn't get no. him out when he should have gotten him out. So it's not as if he's going to make that mistake again with somebody else. Will be interesting to watch tonight. 7.45 start. Oh, baseball in October. 215-592-9494. We'll get to everybody coming up. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Lane Johnson is actually eligible on this play. Boy, I'd love to see them throw to Lane Johnson. Look out for Lane. (laughs) Hurts under center. Motion to the near side of the field. Hurts fakes, looks, fires. Touchdown, Lane Johnson! (laughs) Don't you just love that? 
Well, great call by Merrill and Mike there, by the How way. How about Merrill? Yeah, Merrill forcing a terrific play last year with Lane Johnson. We'll get to uh, what's going on with Lane in just a moment. We are joined by our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. David Gelt. How are you on this Phillies Saturday, Doc? Can't be better. How about you guys? Uh, feeling good. Doing well, Doctor. Red October. Is there a cure for Red October? Just keep winning. That's it. There you go. Uh, serious subject, and Mike wants to bring it up. Uh, Mike, I'll just let you kind of handle it here. Yeah, so Dr. Gelt, Lane Johnson's concussion that he suffered Sunday night against the Cowboys um, kind of got glanced over, I felt like, in the aftermath of the big victory and the Eagles going 6-0. and This is his third concussion that we know of in five years. Uh, and the Eagles really haven't given any update yet as to his health, his status, anything like that. Uh, generally speaking, kind of your perspective on this, what could this mean for, for Lane and his long-term health, the possibilities of him coming back to play this season? Yeah, so um, I get this you know, often in the office, too, like, you know, is it three concussions, three strikes, you're out. And it's not really the amount of concussions you have. It's actually how long it takes to recover after each one. If it's taken months or, you know, for a significant amount of symptoms and it takes a while. You know, but if you have some you know, over a, a long period of time, may not be that sure the, the worst thing um again it depends on what his symptoms are how long it recovers um and if he's had any other issues before that too um to really say if it's a season ending or a career ending issue is there more seriousness urgency concern whatever word you want to use because lane has been open about his mental health issues dealing with anxiety the potential tie to head trauma and those sorts of uh, symptoms and behaviors in an athlete? You know, does that raise any red flags? Sure, sure. Yeah, so we do find now with the literature that if you have pre-existing conditions, whether it be anxiety, depression, migraines, or other comorbid issues, uh, sometimes that can delay um, recovery or prolong issues. Um, sometimes it brings it to the head a little bit more. So it is definitely something that we have to think about, you know, especially with any mental illness. We do find that with concussions that can sometimes uh, muddy the waters a little bit and you know, prolong some of that recovery. And, Mike, I'll give you credit for a terrific column earlier this week because after Johnson's injuries, concussion, he left the game, I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, they have a bye this week. It's, you know, probably should be back within a two-week period. It'll be okay. And I didn't spend time to think about the man and his future and his past problems. That's It's really where, as you wrote, you got to put what's – about the person ahead of what's about the team and it's a tough a tough thing as a sports fan and it was a well done uh, well done column by you well dr gelt how are we feeling about the phillies you all in here i think so i mean from yesterday it sounds like the uh, baseball gods are in our favor the fact that we've had you know how many errors and you know mm-hmm. picked off the first base you know just something's uh something's I'm like we're going in the right direction absolutely good i do i think we all do thank you by the way there was a thing that came up yesterday I hope I have this exactly right. In the history of postseason baseball, mm-hmm. Gene Segura... I, I wrote it down. Go okay, ahead. Okay, good. It's the first ever he, he accomplished a, a triple feat. I, I, want, I thought we might mention okay, this, and good. I wanted to write it down. He became the first player in Major League Baseball postseason history to commit an error, drive in a run, and get picked off in the same inning. And all I want to say is, whatever intern for either Major League Baseball or Fox Sports who dug up that stat 
deserves a raise. Hire that kid right now because that is a trifecta that I had. I can't imagine all that many baseball fans have ever given any thought no, to. No, that was great. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't do it again. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a one, that's a one and done. <laughs> hey, uh, just real quick before you get back to the phones, I just uh, while we're on the subject of football, Niners make a huge move this week. They pick up Christian McCaffrey from Carolina. Let me see. They gave up a second, a third, and a fourth round pick in next year's draft, a fifth round pick in the year before. I mean, the fire sale is really going on right now in Carolina. Yeah. So I think it's a smart move by the Niners, depending on, I mean, talk about a guy who's been injured a lot. McCaffrey is that. But they look at the NFC and they see the Eagles at 6 and 0, and maybe they don't believe that much in the Eagles, mm-hmm. but they do think, like, who else in the NFC is all that? Even though San Francisco, I think they're three and three. Yeah. Are they three and three? Yes. Okay. They just lost to Atlanta last week. Yeah. <sighs> Atlanta better than I, Atlanta's Atlanta's better than everybody thought. That's yeah. true. Atlanta Atlanta just beat New Orleans uh, Thursday night. But I can see where if you're San Francisco, it's like we're going in, which leads me to this question. If you're the Eagles now, the trade deadline is coming up November first, right? So mm-hmm. we're whatever, a week and a couple days away. What's your goal here? I would look at adding, I would consider adding a power running back. You know, Miles Sanders has been terrific, and I like Boston Scott, and Kenny Gainwell's been okay. Mm. Um, I would like them to add somebody, you know, the traditional kind of power short yard. Garrett back. Blunt. Type. Yeah, kind of like that. Ah, I love those guys. The other thing is, and, and we talked about this before the show, I said depth along the defensive line. You said... Depth on the offensive line, yeah, because you've got a lot of hurts there. I mean, I don't mean H, I don't mean Jalen hurts. You got a lot of guys ailing yeah. there, including aforementioned Lane Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Dillard's going to be coming back, but you know, we'll see. My lot has been dinged. Yeah, Kelsey's got the ankle. I think adding a little offensive line depth is a smart move. Yeah, you know, the McCaffrey thing is interesting for this reason. I I forget who I heard use this analogy, but it was basically like. It's like buying a Bentley and having the Bentley in the driveway, but can you drive it? And how fast will it go once you get behind the wheel? And McCaffrey has suffered a lot of injuries. Running backs, you know, tend to have short shelf lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Is he going to help the 49ers that much? He may very well. He's a great player when he's healthy. But I think we got to see. They gave up a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, we will see. Makes it more interesting. NFL trade deadline is more interesting than it used to be. I, I think you got to credit Howie Roseman for some of that. He's made some big moves at this deadline. It's changed the world. This is, this. it's, as they say in almost famous, Glenn, it's all happening. And it's all happening in Philadelphia. Is that a soundbite from what we're watching? No, not that one. No, that, that's I'm a Golden uh, God. I'm a, golden God. Yeah. Go. a lot of great lines in that movie. John and Manny Young is with us. Hello, John. Hey, Glenn. How's it going, buddy? Doing great, John. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, it was, uh, I just want to say I was down at my corner bar in Maniunk here yes, last night. It was like the most electric atmosphere. It was really yeah, incredible. Right. And they played that theme song, Dancing by Myself, whatever that song is. At the oh, end. that's it? You were singing along? Yeah. I was. I didn't know the words. I tried my best, though. There you go. <laughs> that's all we can ask, John. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, the, the, that was a great game. I just want to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. I just have a feeling with the Sixers, I don't think Doc Rivers is going to be here by Christmas. I think they're going to have to make some changes or he, he will be changed. Yeah, I was. we were talking about that before the show, John. I wonder what other moves the Sixers have to make if things don't get straightened out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the they added depth in the offseason. That was the big 
thing that everybody talked about. Oh, they got P.J. Tucker and they got DeAndre Melton and, and they can go seven, eight, nine deep now. And you look at least through the first two games and the starters are playing 34, 35, 36 minutes a night. Um, you know, Matisse Thibel can't get off the bench, presumably because Doc Rivers thinks and he's not wrong to think this. Matisse Thibel can't shoot, can't play offense. So um, yeah. it's it's going to be interesting if this keeps up. I don't know what other sort of move Daryl Morey and the Sixers power people could make other than a change at head coach. Yeah, I think they'll put Cassell in there eventually, you know, just yep. move him up the ranks. Uh, Cassell uh, is the up. next Rob Thompson in this. I tweeted a picture <laughs> of Sam Cassell last night, and I said, here's our next <laughs> Rob Thompson. And I, and I, But I honestly believe that. I think that there's a lot of things wrong with the Sixers currently, but many of them could be changed by having a better head coach, and you may have it in-house. Yeah, I think uh, I think another problem is, I don't know what's going on with Embiid. They said he had some problems with his feet. He couldn't work out. I, I don't know if his heart's really into trying to be a winning player on a, a championship team. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's hard. Um, Thanks, I know. John. Thank you, John. I, I, people have a lot of different feelings about Joel Embiid. He's taken some criticism here. He's he has played through some injuries in the past, um, but he does continually get injured. And, and John was right. Doc Rivers did say that Embiid suffered from kind of minor plantar fasciitis during the offseason, and it set back his conditioning. And um, it, I, I just know watching some of that game the other night, the loss to Milwaukee, he he didn't look like he was into it. He appeared disinterested. Yeah. And, and that's it, another reason you changed the coach. you got to think about Embiid's it. going nowhere. Yeah, and, and you know, here's the thing, Glenn. Um, I wonder about Doc Rivers. I, I have just never quite gotten the sense that Doc Rivers was I- into this as much as I would have thought. You know, he was brought here, and it's interesting that we're talking about this now because the Sixers obviously play the Spurs tonight, which means the return of Spurs assistant coach and former Sixers head coach Brett Brown. Mm-hmm. Doc Rivers was hired to be a step above Brett Brown. That was, you know, the whole idea was the 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 Brett's time had run its course and they got swept by the Celtics in the bubble during the pandemic and we'll bring in Doc Rivers and that'll take the Sixers to another level. Well, guess what? It hasn't. They, they're still losing in the second round. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's an open question right now about Doc Rivers' status with this franchise. I think it makes it, you make a great point. 215-592-0610. We've got some interesting callers, including a guy who got to hold the flag on the field yesterday. We will get to them coming up first. The great Larry Boa will get his take on everything that is going on. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Jeff Francoeur popping out of the dugout. Dan Bolino says, sit down. The Mets come clamoring toward Hanzo Robles. Hernandez pops out. So does Boa, who's just been ejected from the game. And Larry Boa is not happy with Dan Bolino. Oh, Boa. We, we haven't seen Boa this hot since back in 2004. <laughs> I'm with Boa on that one. <laughs> it was always fun to see Larry get really, really worked up. It was the greatest. And he joins us now. Just one of the one of the legends, one of the lifers in, with the Phillies, Larry Boa. What a, what a pleasure it is to talk to you, my friend. I just want to give you a stat before we uh, ask our first question. Uh, and this Bob Vitrone Jr. sent me this. Boop stats. Larry Boa okay. holds the Phillies record for best batting average in a postseason, 1980. He hit 349, which 
is was the best, or depending on how you put it, although Bryce Harper is ahead of that now. Larry, I imagine you would not be too upset if Bryce Harper took that record from you this mm-hmm. year. No, not at all. In fact, uh, I'm looking forward to him to do that. Uh, you know, he's had a great uh, a playoff run so far, and hopefully it continues into the World Series, which I think will happen. But, uh, you know, big guys come up big, and he's come up very big for us during these, these playoff games. Larry, you've been in more clubhouses for more days than just about anybody on planet Earth. Explain to our listeners what it's like when a team is playing the way the Phillies are. And I don't just mean winning in the postseason. I mean winning really tough games in the postseason. What is there intangible about a club that allows them to do that? I, I just think it's, you know, it's. I listen to some people that work in front offices, and I'm not singling out Philly. I'm listening. I'm talking about all my experiences in baseball. A lot of people don't think chemistry is that big a deal, and I think it's huge. And I think the Phillies have a tremendous amount of chemistry going right now. They're rooting for each other. You can see when a guy makes a good play, even in the second inning, uh, you know, they're going crazy in the dugout. Usually that happens in the eighth or ninth inning when the game's on the line. These guys are literally pulling for each other. They bought into uh, uh, starting pitching, with the exception of Wheeler and Noah. Hey, give me five innings, and we're going to go to that strong bullpen that has really improved over the second half of the season. But chemistry to me is, is very, very important. And I think the one guy, if I had to pick out one guy that has sort of galvanized this club, it's Schwarper. Uh, this guy, from the first day of spring training, he could care less about averages. He could care less about what he does. He wants to win, and he has spread that throughout our clubhouse. And I think that was one of the best hires we've had. Uh, signings, I should say, we've had in a long, long time. I know people are probably saying, well, he's hitting too. I don't care what he's hitting. This guy's a leader, and he's done a tremendous job since he's come over here. Absolutely, and and critically important. Clubhouse atmosphere uh, means so much in baseball. I think not everybody sees that. Uh, the other part of that maybe relates to the guy I'm going to ask you about now. Um, you managed in this league. Rob Thompson waited a long time to manage in this league. Um, and the baseball lifer finally got his chance and has made the most of it. He's got a different disposition than you, Larry, um, but it's working for him. Talk a little bit, if you would, about what you think are the reasons for his success with this team. Well, first of all, I was with Rob with the Yankees when I was with Joe. That's Taylor. right. Yeah. That's he right. Was on the staff. I've known Rob a long time. He's definitely paid his dues. He's done everything. He's been a minor league coordinator. He's he set up uh, in the Yankees. He's been there for a long time. He's managed in the minor leagues. He's got great one-on-one uh, with with his ball players. He makes it a point. If a guy hasn't played in three or four days, he'll go and talk to him and say, hey, this is where we're going. His communication skills are off the charts. He's, he's very uh, – I'm not going to say he's low-key because, to me, he, he's right up there. He likes to win as much as anybody. He can mask his uh, – Emotions very easily. I think that had a lot to do with Joe Torre. Uh, he was with Joe Torre a long time, and I like to see guys like this. That uh, you know, you get labeled in baseball. It takes one day to get labeled. It takes forty years to, to shed that label. And mm. obviously, he was labeled as a good coach, a good bench coach, a good third base coach, and never got the opportunity. And Dave Dombrowski gave him an opportunity, and he ran with it. And he's done a tremendous job. But uh, I think the one thing, he's been very consistent with this team. You know, there's been a lot of hollering 
from outside here saying, oh, switch the lineup around. This guy's over 12. You got to do this. You got to do that. And he stuck to his game plan. And I think that means a lot to these players, especially when you got some players that have played a while. And uh, they know that, uh, hey, if I go over four today, I'm going to be in the same slot tomorrow. So that has a lot to do with a comfort zone. Uh, they've uh, sort of gone with the flow as far as, I mean, Gene Secure has always hit at the top of the lineup since he's been here with the Phillies, and now he's dropped down and, and come up with huge hits down there. But you never hear anybody uh, complain about where they hit or anything, and I think that's because Rob's got great communication with the, with the whole team. Larry, one of the things that made last night's game so exciting and at times so excruciating, of course, were some of the miscues that the Phillies made in the field. So, right. What do you what do you think Rob will do? And you know, generally speaking, what would a manager do to address that, deal with that, if anything? Do you take extra infield this morning? Do you leave it alone and let those guys kind of sort through it themselves? Um, because those errors by Segura and Hoskins, you know, it didn't cost them a win, but concerning, I think. Yeah, it is concerning. But but when you get this far and you've played this long. I think you just leave it alone. You know those guys are going to respond. Segura is an unbelievable fielder, and he just tried to be too quick on the double play. And Haas has been having some problems at first. But you know what? These guys, without those two guys, you know, who knows where we'd have been. So I think Rob, and I think most managers right now, when you get this deep into the playoffs, uh, you don't take extra infield. You don't do that. So you do your regular routine. You know, uh, baseball is a very routine-oriented sport. and You have your... Your pregame you do, and then after you go inside, you might get, some guys might hit in the cage and all that. You, I think you keep everything the same, and that's what Rob has done throughout the entire, not just the playoffs, but since he's taken over the ball club. And I think that that has a lot to do with, with the, besides the talent on our team, but I think that has a lot to do with our success so far. Larry Bow is our guest, by the way, this hour, sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. So Larry Bow was a gold glove shortstop for this franchise. It now has a young shortstop in Bryson Stott. Um, I'd like you kind of assess what can what what is it like for a young guy like this in the postseason at this position? And also, what do you see as Bryson Stott's future? Can he be... A above average defensive major league shortstop. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind he can do that. This kid's uh, going to be special. Uh, does he lack maybe great range? Maybe. Uh, he makes all the plays. He's got ice water in his veins. To me, next year, I, it wouldn't shock me to see him uh, batting leadoff on, on this ball club. Mm. He's not afraid to hit with two strikes. He doesn't make mental mistakes. Uh, he's very solid, and, and in answer to the first part of that, it's very difficult for your first year to come up and play on a team that possibly could go to the World Series. I mean, there's some pressure on there. I think the biggest thing that happened was when uh, Didi was let go, and basically it was the Stott. They said, hey, you're the shortstop, and he's gone out and done a tremendous job for us. Uh, he's got a two-strike approach, which I love. Uh, he makes all the routine plays, which I think are very important, yeah, especially uh, when you play 162 games. I really like this kid. I see nothing but upside here. I also think he's going to hit 15 home runs a year. He's got that kind of power. But he's basically a line drive hitter that uses the entire field. Uh, you know, I, I keep reading, well, we're going to go out and get a shortstop. That's that's not in my uh, – I don't have that authority to say yes or no. If it were me, I'd leave Scott at shortstop. And uh, I think he's going to do a very good job. He has the ability – if by chance something should happen, we know that uh, Segura's last year is up. If they wanted to, they could move him to second base. Uh, but personally, I I think this kid can play shortstop, and I think he's done a tremendous job for us. 
Larry, the Phillies and Dave Dombrowski obviously made no bones about the fact that they were building this team heading into the season to mash the ball. You know, they were going to hit home runs. They were going to kind of pound teams with power. And one of the things we've seen in the postseason is stringing hits together, just putting the ball in play. You see Segura's two-out hit last night, you know, just punching it over the second baseman's head. That approach in the postseason, you know, to just put the ball in play as often as you can seems to be much more powerful and potent than it would be during the regular season. I'm curious kind of how you thought that change came about. Is it just because your approach has to change when the games get this important? I I think that's part of the reason. You're facing real good pitching, and, and usually pitchers don't give up four or five hits in an inning. Uh, I would like to see that approach for 162 games. Now, I'm not telling you that Schwarber and, and, and Harper have to do that, but there's guys in, in, uh, in lineups that I'm watching swinging for fences when it counts 0-2. These, these guys lately have had two-strike approaches. Uh, you know, I've read a couple of tweets where that was a lucky hit. And no, it wasn't a lucky hit. It was a two-strike approach that Segura put in play, and he did the same thing in St. Louis. And I get tired. I really get tired of hearing exit velocity and launch angle because that's not what it's about. <laughs> yep. What it's about is you get one more run than the opposition. I don't care how you get it. Put it the ball in play. And you're watching the Yankees now down two games. They cannot put the ball in play when they have to. And I'm not saying get a hit. It's hit. It's hard to hit in the big leagues. Have a two-strike approach. Infield back. Man on third. Put the ball in play. I would like to see that approach for 162 games. And again, there's certain hitters. I don't want Schwarber trying to get a single. I don't want Harper trying to get a single. But I like the, the approach that we've had with our other guys. Uh, Baum's done it all year. He's got a great two-strike appro- approach. Uh, we've really watched Marsh develop into a better hitter than he was in Anaheim. But that's a mentality that you have to have, and you have to keep enforcing it. And I think Kevin Long's done a tremendous job doing that. But Amen. people are getting away from it. These these analytic people have never put on a uniform, and all they want to look at is exit velocity and launch angle. You know what you can do with those? I can't say it on the air. I'll, <laughs> I'll take the guy that puts the ball in play when there's a man on third and gets you a run. And if we can start playing baseball like that, which we have as a team for the last uh, maybe month and a half, I really, really like it, and it can create a lot of wins on your on your side of the ball. I love me. it. I love it. I love it. All right, last thing. I saw a photo this morning circulating around Twitter. It was you with, let me see if I get all this, Ryan Howard, Charlie Manuel, Mickey Morandini, I think Chase, no, not Chase Utley, he went in there, Miles Teller, maybe Manny Trio, um, oh, right. Jason Kelsey, right? Right. Yeah, what, what? that's like the greatest star picture picture of all time. I don't know. Did they leave anybody out, or did they got them all? Uh, I think I think you got a lot of them. I, I don't know. Was uh, was, was Matt in there? Stairs? He might have been on the. Oh, oh maybe yeah. Matt oh, Stairs. Okay, yeah, probably yeah. there last time. I wanna, don't want to take away yeah, from him. Yeah, it, what it, was it, that? It, it, I think I, I just think the Phillies are trying to create that uh, winning atmosphere, showing guys that have won here, uh, and uh, taking a picture with Miles. Obviously, he's very hot right now, as far as. Where he is in Hollywood and everything, so I, I just think that uh, uh, the Phillies in general have are trying to create that winning atmosphere, and I I really look for this team not to get just to the World Series, but I look for this team to continue playing good baseball, not just this year, but uh, the next three or four years, because I think Dave has done a good job in putting this ball club together. Uh, he's getting people that love playing baseball. Uh, and I, I just think there's something special happening here. And as you said earlier, you, we can't give away outs. And I know Segura's was, 
one of those flute plays. He tried to be too quick, but and Haas has got to start catching the ball the way I've seen him catch the ball before. He's at, he's in a little funk right now. Uh, but when you get, if you take the next step and go to the World Series and you play a team, whether it's the Yankees or Houston, you cannot give outs away. Outs are precious. There's 27 of them. Don't give the other team 30, 31 outs, and I think we're going to be fine. I don't think there's going to be a lot of home runs hit, whoever's in the World Series. I, I think the pitching's that good. You know, you start facing good pitchers, uh, and they're not going to give up a lot of home runs. So I like where we're going right now. This is a big game tonight. Uh, I really believe if we can win this game tonight, uh, Wheeler's been unhittable. Uh, this guy's had a streak where I've never seen it before. I shouldn't say I've never seen it. I've seen Carlton pitch yeah, like you've, this. Yeah, you've played and, with a couple and, good uh, ones. Yep. Yeah, this this guy is something special, and I would think that uh, we could, uh, if we win tonight, uh, I don't like to to say it's over, but I, I like our chances with Wheeler on the mound tomorrow. Uh, thoroughly agree. Larry Bow. it is always a pleasure to catch up with you, my friend. Uh, look forward to seeing you at the ballpark, and uh, be well. Okay, you guys take care, and uh, let's go, Phil. There you go. Thanks, Bo. That was great energy, man. Uh, you know, uh, you get him talking about certain topics. Uh, he's got it. And it's just going to come bubbling to the surface. Yeah. You know, I don't want to mention any teams, but the Yankees are swinging from the heels. And he's right. <laughs> and he's exactly right. He is. And Listen, I'm, I'm not an anti-analytic guy at, at all, and I get it, and I respect it, and blah, 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 but... You do see guys, and and not Aaron Judge. I mean Aaron Judge too, but guys who are not who are right. not Aaron Judge and never will be Aaron mm-hmm. Judge. And it's two strikes, and they take this huge swing. They may not first and second. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And and to me, as somebody who has complained about baseball changing over the years and getting boring and all that stuff, I think that makes for a more exciting brand of baseball. Yeah. It's more fun to watch the ball be put in play. And Amen. I, you know, over the long term. Over a 162-game season, I get it. Probably if you swing for the fences, you will end up hitting more home runs and your OPS will be higher and all that. But it's not more entertaining. It's not more fun to watch on a day-to-day basis. And we've talked about it before, Glenn. The very thing that makes baseball more challenging to watch in the regular season makes it that much more fun and intense in the postseason. Yep. Because every game matters. When a bo- Again, I was at this party last night. Every time the Phillies put the ball in play, no matter how hard they hit it, there was a, oh, here we go. Yep. And any time the Padres put the ball in play, everybody held their breath. Right. Striking out doesn't help you at all. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I got to get this guy on, Greg. And I appreciate your patience, Greg. You were on the field yesterday? Hi, guys. Yes, love your show. First time caller. Thank Been you. listening for years. I was on the field with the other veterans holding the flag. What an amazing experience. Um, the fans and the support and love that they showed toward the veterans. I yeah. must have had 100, 100 thank you for your services. Uh, nice. it was, it was, that's great. It was really an honor to do that in the city I was born and raised in. I Listen, that's, that's tremendous. I love what you just had to say, and I love that the people gave you that support. Take us inside your emotions when you are standing on there for the anthem, 46,000 people just, t- you know, what, what did it feel like? Honestly, toward the end of the anthem, when the crowd started just cheering, I, I got emotional. I was like yeah. holding back the tears. Yeah. It, was, it was wow a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It really was. That's great. That's great. Could well, you feel the sound from the field? I mean, how yeah. loud was it, Greg? Oh, I, I, never, I never heard anything like it. It was unbelievable. It really was. That's great. And the game wasn't so bad either. Uh, the passion and the energy and the, of the fans during that game, that starting off with Swerver's home run, uh, all the way to the end, the last out uh, was great. Um, 
very happy for you. I think Mike and I all as well will thank you for your service Absolutely. now. And uh, I'm glad that you got to have a really special moment yesterday, and let's keep it going. Thank you. Thank all right. You. Thank you so much for checking in. Good thank you, him. Greg. Uh, that's, that's, that's great. That's really cool. I, I heard Ruben Amaro talking about this the other day uh, on Angelo's show, and I don't exactly remember the context in which it came up. Oh, I know how the context that came up, because Angelo is going to be an um, honorary captain when the Eagles play the Steelers next weekend. Well, oh, okay. i got to get him on the pregame show, as a matter of fact. Yeah. But anyway, so he's the, the, the contest is you can walk on the field with Angelo. Ah. And you and I have been down on the field level before games mm-hmm. and so on a lot. I yeah. still, I have to say, I do still find it very cool. Oh, it, it's great. It's It's... An experience you can't really describe. Right. But I've also done it enough that it's like I'm comfortable kind of being around there. I'm no longer in awe. Mm-hmm. And Ruben Amaro was talking about when you know when he was uh, GM of the Phillies and people would come and be down there, just how exciting it is. So for this gentleman, Greg, yesterday to stand on the field for the game, yeah. during the anthem, the whole thing, how fun that must have been. Yeah, and... I think about it in terms of the athletes themselves, right? One of the things you hear elite pro athletes talk about is how they're able to put all that aside. They almost put themselves in a bubble or Mm -hmm. under a a membrane or something that they can just perform in the field. And what's interesting to me, and we alluded to it earlier in the show, is that the fans at Citizens Bank Park, to a certain degree, have been able to break that bubble for the opposing team. Yes. They They are... the Braves pitchers, Braves players, I think a little bit of with the Padres last night, became very cognizant of things that they're normally not cognizant of. And that gives the Phillies such an advantage um, just to make the opposition just a little uncomfortable and unfamiliar with this setting. The Phillies fans are a character in this story. Yeah, they really are. That's not usually the case, and they are, and they have been. And as we said earlier, it was a slow arrival this year. Uh, not without reason, but what it shows is that when baseball is good in this town, oh boy, the fans are great. Yeah, and to that point, Glenn, because it wasn't a factor during the regular season, the opposing teams are that much more unprepared for yeah. it now. Yeah, you know, like nobody came into that NLDS series saying, "Well, you know, before Game One." wait till the Braves get to Philadelphia because the fans will be all over them and you have to guard against that affecting their style of play and their quality of play. It was only ahead of game three when it was like, here's the first home playoff game in 11 years that people started to talk about, oh, it's going to be loud there. And there was no reason to frame the series that way because it hadn't been all that loud in Citizens Bank Park all season, certainly not relative to what we've seen the last few days. Great. Can't wait for more tonight. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Looking for a six-out save in the playoffs. No Philly since Tug McGraw has turned that trick. One ball, two strikes. The pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Dominguez does the job. A six-out save to preserve a 4-2 win here in Game 3 of the National League Championship Series. Listen to this crowd. 
Wow, the crowd broke into a really slow song. How about it? <laughs> Sounded like the end of a wedding. <laughs> Uh, and it was a great thing to see Sir Anthony back and dominant because it's such a key to the whole thing. Sir Anthony and Alvarado, I don't really trust anybody else. I, 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 I don't trust. You know why you trust those guys in part? Because they miss bats. You know, for all the time we spent yeah, this segment talking yeah, about Larry. does not. Yeah, yeah. always talking about um, putting the ball in play with Larry Boa. Of course, the counteract to that is you want relief pitchers who strike people out late in the game. Because the fewer balls that are put in play, the less opportunities there are to have something bad happen. Yes, but that Sir Anthony is pitching so well and Alvarado is pitching so well just helps this team so, so much and has really, really been something that, uh, hey, we want to continue riding. Uh, I, uh, I I got an interesting note on that, actually, that Fransky call. He said it was the last time that anyone, any Philly made a six-out save was when Tug McGraw, Tug McGraw did it. Yeah. It was the same date in 1980. Wow, yeah. there you go. There you wow. go. Was so, that was that game six of the 1980 series? It was. Well, yeah, when uh, McGraw did it, it was October 21st. Yeah, uh, I be- 1980. I believe that was the the clinching game. Yes, it was. That was the police dog game, as everybody uh, remembers it now. Well, I wasn't alive, so I well. I don't so what I was going to say, Kyle. So that was what 42 years ago. Yes. So in 2064. 50 50 chance I'm here. I don't know. <laughs> Much better chance that you're here. Yes. Remember that moment. We'll do. Okay, there you go. Kyle and I will be co-hosting together. Remember back in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. So what do you got going for the rest of the day, Mike Sealski? So I have a busy day ahead of me, Glenn. I have, I'm have. i heading from the studio. Um, I'm eventually going to make my way to the Wells Fargo Center to check in with the Sixers. They're playing the Spurs tonight at 6 o'clock. I uh, want to be there for some of the pregame stuff. Uh, talk to Brett Brown. He's making his right. quasi-triumphant return to Philadelphia. Uh, and then heading over to the ballpark for game four. How about you? Nice. Uh, <laughs> I am not heading to the ballpark for game four, although I'll be there at least for the pregame tomorrow. Jody Mack and I are going to be doing the show from down there tomorrow starting at 10. Um, I will be kind of following the game from afar. Tonight is the second performance of Clue, the play that I am in at the Players Club of Swarthmore, um, where I am Colonel Mustard, who may or may not have committed the murder. You are in the in the movie version. You are Ma- Martin Mull. Yes. Yeah. I am, but I am different from Martin Mull. But nonetheless, uh, if you uh, if if you want to do what I'm going to do, which is record the game and then watch it at one in the morning, <laughs> which is pretty much my plan, uh, come out to the Players Club of Swarthmore. The show starts at eight o'clock tonight against the Phillies. But I guarantee you will get lots of laughs if you come out to uh, the Players Club of Swarthmore and see it, or get your tickets uh, for tonight or tomorrow's matinee, or next week Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at pcstheater.org. And you had the opening night last night, and from what you uh, said, it went splendidly. It was really, it was great. We had a great audience, and everybody in the cast was just so on. It was it was a delight. It was great. I loved it. Uh, okay. Um, oh, before before we get to that. Um, yeah. Because you brought up the uh, Brett Brown coming back, and we talked a little bit earlier just about the sad state of the Sixers. Your level of worry about the Sixers right now, or is this just, hey, it's, you know, you played Boston, you played Milwaukee, two really good teams, not to worry. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being I am so worried that I'm going to write a column saying that everybody should fi- be fired. Ten it's funny, being, I do it the other way. Right? Yeah, ten, 10 would be the high worry. 10 being, you know, they're going to be fine and they're going to sweep the Phoenix Suns in the finals or whoever. Um, I'm s- going to say like a 3, 3.5. 
Uh, I'm it's pretty worried. It's two games in, but it's not. It's two not great games in, and as I think we referenced earlier, I'm a little concerned that through two games, Doc Rivers is not playing the bench all that much. That was supposed to be the reason to feel better about this team was they are deeper. And through two games, there's no sign that Doc Rivers thinks they're deeper. And that gives me some pause. And it is October, so like you, I don't want to overreact, but Embiid's disinterest or dissatisfaction or something, I think there's something there with Embiid that I... Don't know how it's going to play out, but it may play out with a new coach. You know what the telltale for that was, Glenn? He didn't speak to the media after the game. And usually I'm not someone who cares one way or another if an athlete doesn't want to talk to the media. They all have their reasons. If, they, if they're if they making themselves accessible and available to us, great. If they don't, whatever, I can write around it. But generally speaking, when Joel doesn't talk to the media, something's up. Something's up. Yeah, so we'll see. And by the way, Flyers 3-1. and one. How Hello. about it? John Tortorella, Coach of the Year. What do you think? think Carter Hart, Hart, Vezina Trophy. That's that's what I've seen so far. All this team needs to do to make the playoffs and be a contender is have Carter Hart play better than any goaltender has ever played in the history of the National Hockey League. He's been good. He's been great. His save percentage is close to, you know, 950, I think. Yeah. Um, So, you know, Flyers fans, I'm sure, would love for him to keep that up, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. No, but, you know, three and one start is more than I expected. Same. Same. Let's go to Matt in New Holland. Hi, Matt. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? Good morning. Doing great, Matt. All right. I'd just like to touch on, you know, this Phil's playoff series and then touch on Stott real quick, if that's okay. Go for it. Um, so, it's pretty cool. I mean, I got into baseball, really got into baseball back in 06, 07, 08. Um, watched every game at my uncle's house with uh, my dad and my brothers. And now I have a wife, two sons, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, for the first time, my four-year-old sat down beside me and started asking questions. Um, oh. Watching the baseball game, started asking him uh, for names and and if that would have hit and different things like that. And now, uh, for the first time in 11 years, uh, tonight, uh, my dad and brothers are coming up. We're going to watch a game together, and nice. uh, you know, this time my sons are going to are going to be included. So. You know, it's pretty cool. Looking forward to it. And um, on Stott real quick, I mean, that was incredible last night watching the discipline at the plate and those two bats, you know, where he got the hits was just um, incredible to see a young guy like that, the discipline at the plate on 0-2 counts. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't seem overwhelmed by the postseason, the moment, all of those things. I mean, you look at his numbers from the regular season, he wasn't particularly productive, but he did get a get big hits for them throughout the course of the season. Uh, and he's been better in the postseason. And I think, you know, Larry Boa's optimism about what Bryson Stock can be uh, as a player should have Phillies fans all over the place optimistic about him, too. I just love that it's him and, what do you say, dad and his uncle and his son and whatever. Yeah. So they got the three generations going and they have not seen playoff baseball together. Listen, we've been through a lot over the last 11 years with this team. Mm-hmm. Ryan Sandberg, oh gosh, and Gabe Kapler, and Vinny Velazquez, <laughs> and Andy McPhail, and um, I think it was Matt- Scott Kingry. I yeah. mean, we can just keep throwing out names that evoke tough times, right? That the great players grew old and went away, and mm-hmm. then there were these like false prophets that we thought were going to be good and weren't, and managers who just 
couldn't get it done and Love didn't it. relate. Love and, it. You know, yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, and and off of the heels of 07 to eleven, it was mm-hmm. just a dreadful decade. Yeah, it was. And now baseball's back, and it just feels so great. It does, and especially because as as Matt referenced, baseball more than any other sport is really a sport of fathers and sons. It really is, um, especially nowadays in in the whatever you want to call it, the information age. Um, where you need somebody who's a little bit older than you to kind of pass this down and say, hey, stop, watch this sport, watch this game. Um, yeah, it, it's not excitement all the time, but there is stuff going on here. Um, and, and it was missing from Philadelphia. For me, it was missing just because of the way the sport changed. To me, it just got more boring and less interesting. Um, but, you know, certainly around here, that's turning around, and I hope... When it's good, it's great. Itself. Yeah, when the, the sport itself baseball, turns around. When baseball's bad, it's bad. Yeah. It's just not it's not watchable. But when baseball's good, particularly in the playoffs, is great. We, I know you and I have talked about this, but in the playoffs, every pitch, just, you, right? Yeah. So during the regular season, like, would you throw the ball? Yeah. <laughs> but now between pitches, like, oh, what's he going to do? There's a guy on first. How's the defense going? What's going to happen? What's the umpire strikes? There's so much the, to The line of the postseason to me uh, was written by my colleague, David Murphy, at the Inquirer. Uh, during the Phillies Cardinals series after game one the uh, and he said watching playoff baseball is like watching a loved one defuse a bomb you don't <laughs> you don't enjoy it you endure it and he's a hundred percent right okay I'll think about that yeah <laughs> let me sneak in Earl and New Hope before the break hey Earl hey how are you Glenn hey Mike hey um, it seemed like Thompson last night had a plan and stuck to it where he's like Rangers only going five and then you know, six is Eflin and so on. So I think today, what do you guys think? You know, three with Falter, three with Thor, and then maybe, you know, depending upon where it is, give Robertson the seventh, Alvarado the eighth, and Sir Anthony the ninth again? Well, I don't think you'll see Sir Anthony. Yeah, not no? after two innings last night, you're not going to see Sir Anthony. I, get Alvarado, Alvarado probably gets the closing opportunity. Maybe, you know, lefty-righty depends. Maybe Eflin. We did... Earlier, get a, um, I don't want to say a report, because it was speculation. Yeah. I'll say speculation. An assertion. A possibility. There you go. Good. My thesaurus. Yeah. Uh, That's why that, I'm here. Don't be shocked if Nola, this being his day to throw on the side, gets an inning today. I don't know that that's going to happen, but it's an interesting dynamic to consider. Like if Thor starts to falter and you need a righty because they're throwing up lefties, something like that? You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think in any kind of playoff game, Earl, you're a manager and you go in with a plan and you hope that it plays out the way that you would want it to play out, but you never know what's going to happen. I think with respect to last night, for instance, yeah, they had gotten five terrific innings out of Ranger Suarez and maybe in different circumstances after only throwing 68 pitches, uh, he might've stayed out there for the sixth. But as we referenced earlier, you have Manny Machado coming up to lead off the sixth and he's a great hitter who already put the ball in play hard against Suarez twice. So you make the move yep. there, you make the pitching change. And that's got to be something where if the circumstances have had been different, maybe Rob Thompson would have made a different decision. What do you think of the three batter rule? I like it. I do too. I like it. Everybody hates it. No, I like, I like it. it because I think it adds to strategy. First of all, the most boring aspect of baseball is watching a pitcher be taken out and another pitcher come in. Absolutely. And now that they carry 13 pitchers, a manager can just like, you're, you, give me a loogie, give me a guy gets out right. Th- give me. Th- this was Tony LaRusso in a nutshell, yeah, and it drove everybody it. nuts. Right, yes. just killed it. And I think that it forces you to, st- 
to think ahead. Yes. So like, okay, my guy can get out seal ski. He's the righty who can't hit lefties. But the next guy up, you know. Mac Ky- now. Kyle Quinn. Well, Mac now is a cleanup hitter. Please. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kyle Quinn's coming up next. And, you know, he's going to, he's not a good matchup. I like that rule. And I'm surprised so many people don't. I, I am too. Uh, for, for all the reasons that you cited. And, and it ke- strategy is part of the game. It's supposed to be part of the game. You know, I, I was not somebody... And maybe this makes me really old school and really whatever. I was not somebody pounding the table to bring the designated hitter to the National League. Love it. I I know you do. And I I don't mind it. I'm not suggesting like, you know, they betrayed the soul of the sport. Save the the Philly season. Absolutely. Save Bryce Harper. Right. Exactly. Um, But the thinking ahead and the strategy is a big reason that baseball can be fun to watch. Yep. And and the three better rule certainly adds to that. All right. For most business people, a meeting with their banker can be like a trip to the dentist. But talk to Meridian customers, you'll hear a different story. Their business lenders come at things from your point of view, and they bring a ton of useful guidance and advice. Mostly, they're a genuinely fun group. And I speak from personal experience. The word is getting out. If you'd like to take the stress out of your business banking, Meridian is the go-to With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. I will be on tomorrow. Uh, from the ball yard, 10 to 1 with Judy McDonald. Uh, you will be diligently covering all this for the Philadelphia Inquirer. I will. I think I'm going to stop by the show. Yes. Check in for a bit. Yeah, please do. That would be great if you, you uh, if you come in for a segment or two. Jerry in Newcastle. What's going on, Jerry? Mike, Glenn, what's happening, guys? What up, Jerry? I got something for you, Glenn. Love it. <laughs> That's, that, that, uh, that's for last night. I love it. Hopefully I'll have another one tonight or tomorrow when I talk to you next weekend. We're in a series, so yeah, you bet. I hope. You've been a good luck charm since you started calling. I think the Phillies have uh, really taken off, and I think your horn honking <laughs> is definitely a factor. <laughs> okay, I got a question for you guys. I've been around baseball a long time. I haven't played in a few years, but I know the game. I've watched the game. I've, I've been involved. i played college ball. So my question is, how do some of these guys that are professional hitters, they claim they're professional hitters, they'll sit there and they'll look at balls down the middle. They'll flail it away at a pitch that clearly is not going to be a strike. I mean, Schwarber missed the ball last night. By you wanna, can Literally. I give you the answer? Here's the answer. It's really hard. Well, I know that. It's really <laughs> a hard job to be a major league hitter. And even the best can look foolish, and even the best, as they say, make out 70% of the time. Yeah, I, I know, because it's easier said than done. I mean, you're up at the plate, you're looking for a certain pitch. I mean, you're, you're guessing one way. Yep. Pitchers, you know, the pitcher's doing something different. But it just it just baffles me at some of these pitches these guys are swinging at. Hodgkins is looking at stuff right down the middle of the plate, and he can't feel a, ground, a routine ground ball. Here's the other thing, Jared, to keep, Thanks, in, sir. keep in mind. Um most of these hitters are not necessarily reacting to the pitch they see. They are guessing. You ha- because these these pitchers throw so hard, and the hitters have so much information about what pitches get thrown when and what pitches they're likely to see at certain counts. You know, they're not thinking. They're not looking at it and thinking it's a fastball and it's a slider. Although that does happen some of the time. Often it is. I'm swinging fastball on this pitch. Yeah. What is he got? Three quarters of a second to decide. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. By the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank Business Banking. It's best visit them 
at meridianbanker.com. Let us go to our producer, Kyle Quinn, for a yes. couple things. First of all, uh, best caller of the day, who you got? Yeah, I'm going to award this uh, gift card here to Greg, who called earlier. He's a veteran and shared a cool story or cool experience, rather, of him last night being able to hold the flag uh, on the field before the game. I just uh, feel like we give it to him as a small thank you for his service and for being a great fan. So Very we'll give nice. it to Greg. Good great, choice. Great call, Kyle. Uh, Greg wins a $50 gift card to Shy Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their center city location or their new spot on Lancaster Avenue in Wayne or at ShyBSports.com. Kyle! Yeah. What did we forget to talk about today? Well, it's funny because usually when I do these segments, I'm gathering uh, things I'm going to talk about, and it's usually pretty easy. But right now, Philadelphia is kind of the center of the sports world in just about every sport. So we've pretty much covered just about everything. But I have two. Oh, we can go home? No, well, not quite. We still have a few minutes, and we've got to take this break here. But uh, i got a few things that end up being in a roundabout way tied to Philly sports. And uh, this first one. Comes from the Phillies game last night. Didn't get much of a mention because they didn't show it on the TV. But Jason Kelsey coming mm-hmm. out in the middle of one of the innings to rile up the crowd, <laughs> chugging a beer, hugging the fanatic, and just getting everybody pumped. And then even picked up the beer can that he tossed on the uh, on the field, like a like the true gentleman that Jason Kelsey is. So just uh, very cool to see Jason Kelsey on the field last night. He's, he is. Can we say he's the all-time most popular Philadelphia athlete? I mean, I think he is. I mean, there's the Brian Dawkins. Yeah, but Jason's docs and so on. But Jason's more accessible. Yeah, he's more accessible. He there's something that he intrinsically gets about Philadelphia, and then he combines that with the fact that he's going to be a Hall of Famer uh, at a brutal, very you know position that requires toughness. He might be at the top of the list. Havertown guy, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good one. uh, Stomping grounds, too. All right, (laughs) let's uh, have a little fun, shall we? You guys want to hear about how Ben Simmons' first few games went with with the Brooklyn Nets? I know the first. Yeah, so the first one he had four points, whopping four points. Seen that one before. Uh, Five rebounds, five assists, and six fouls. I fouled out. How about it? But (laughs) don't worry. Steve Nash said that he bounced back, and boy, did he. Six points this time in his next one. Ten rebounds, eight assists. Man, Ben Simmons just... Lighten it up for Brooklyn. Uh, a little rusty. I believe the word is schadenfreude, right? <laughs> when you revel in the misery of others. Yeah. And I think, I'm you know, guilty. on any night that the Phillies happen to lose. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month. with Eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. 
Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.